Samuel. Cuts it back. Ohio State wins. I put my heart in this Let's go, man. That is as good as it gets. I represent me in this issue. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Really on the field, a touchdown is confirmed. Fourth and two now. You've got to get two yards. I don't know. I don't think so. No way. Kentucky wins. Welcome to the Signing Day Recap episode of the Peace of Mind Podcast. I'm Kevin Jackson. He's AJ Nance. Thanks for listening to episode six. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button. If you're feeling uh, generous, please rate us and leave us a review. Help us out on podcast or Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. It'd be a big help. Also, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Peace of Mind 615. Follow us. How you doing, AJ? Man, I'm doing well. Yourself, man? I'm hanging in there. Not bad. It's Not a, bad. It was a bit of a good Sunday. It's been a really good Sunday. Would have been better had we gotten those two points. But, we, we, started the, we started the day together. We're going to finish the day together. I've had a real sports-heavy weekend. I went and saw an NBA game yesterday, and then I went to a hockey game today. So I'm covering everything outside of college football this week. What game did you see yesterday? So I, went, I went and saw the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. To my astonishment, Anthony Davis started and played in a back-to-back, which was you know, much debated that he wasn't going to play because of all the trade speculations and things, but ended up starting and playing. They didn't didn't have a great showing in that Who game. Who won? Ended up, uh, Memphis, actually, they won by 10. It was it was not a good-looking game, per se. But I will say, outside of our very own follower, Darius Miller, outside of him getting his eyes split and having to get stitches, he played pretty well. Why don't you just tell the good people why you went and saw Darius Miller play? So Darius happens to be a really good friend of mine. We have known each other for oh, a lot of years now. I can't think of them off the top of my head, probably like eight. A good friend of mine, so I always try to go to Memphis and check on them and play, or when they play the Grizzlies. And a little random known fact, we actually share the same birthday. So, there's that. Did not know that. Yeah. He's actually, I talk, when I talked to him yesterday, he said that since they're on the road, since they were on the road, he was going to do some catching up on the pods, and he let me know that he's excited for the summer so that he could be on, and we're looking forward to having him. Nice. And so, uh, today... We uh, checked out the early game. The Preds played the St. Louis Blues in a back-to-back. They played in St. Louis last yesterday, lost three to two. Preds almost pulled it out today. They lost four to no five to four. Five to four. Mm-hmm. Five to four in overtime. Preds almost came back and won it. That was a hell of a game, though. I mean, because what it, it was three one starting the third. Yeah, and and Preds scored three in the third. Yeah. Oh man, the third and was, the way which they scored down on our end. Oh man, it would have if you've never been to a an actual live hockey game. I would I would suggest definitely going and, and if you're any kind of sports fan, go and take in a live hockey event, uh, especially if you can get to a professional place because it's incredible the things that they do on skates, and it's to me it's it's one of those things that I, I kick myself every time we go to. Uh, an actual game because I'm just like why did I wait until I was 25 to start watching and enjoying hockey like I let stereotypes keep me away from hockey and it's incredible like it is so much fun and and I I think it adds to it obviously that I live in a city where the Predators play and they've had some some good runs but it's just incredible to go to those games and it's so fun 
it's probably the most entertaining live sport. Could you imagine if in basketball you had to every time the shot clock reset and you got an offensive rebound, everybody on the team had to go back past the three point line, <laughs> like like old, the blue like the blue line in basketball, like or old, in old park basketball where like if it's a rebound, you, you take, it take it back. <laughs> Half court basketball, but everybody yeah. has to go back. And like I wish that NBA games you could sub like in hockey games. That'd be which oh, would God, actually James out like, of nowhere with the block. <laughs> <laughs> Just comes off the bench and swats it's actually about like across. <laughs> but think that about how much incredible. more fun at the end of the game would be because then you could sub in defensive players for that possession and then like boom I got to get an offensive possession in I got to get my shooter in the bad free throw shooter could go out and the but in hockey they're a little less lenient with it where in lacrosse you can sub on the fly mm-hmm. but like the kid can't come on the field until the other guy comes off but there's like a there's like a twenty yard range, so they could be at different ends of like the trans of like the sub box, but you you just can't step foot on it until the guy comes off. That'd be wild. I think we figured out a way to fix the All Star Week. That would be incredible. <laughs> this is a now peace of mind. We'll talk about everything but football podcast with hockey and basketball. <laughs> but no, but, it, it was an incredible weekend. It was it was great to get out and and see that. The hockey game. That's actually my first one that I've been to this year. I'm gonna try to go a little bit more now between now and playoff time. We're again Predators right back in the mix, making a a push for the playoffs. Looking at, I mean, what we were two. I think we tied. Yeah, we tied for first in our division now uh, by getting that point today. So it's gonna come down to the wire. It'll be a great time if you're in Nashville listening. I can't stress it enough. Support the team. Go out, watch them. You know watch them on TV, whatever. It's, it's awesome. It's a, it's, it's awesome to see them play, but also it's, it's so much excitement. I think, uh, I've yet to find a person that actually sits down and watches the predators play, uh, and don't come away with something that they were just, you know, blown away by. When I go fishing in the summer in Ontario, the, the city we go to is about an hour from Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Who's essentially now like our little rival in our division. Right. So last summer I got a big, kick out of having a conversation with those guys <laughs> they were all excited about coming to nashville oh yeah they uh last year's last year's series was was great i mean it didn't go our way but it's a hell of a series and yeah i mean i mean they're consistently good and i think that's who we're tied with at the top of the division so i'm excited for this year we talked about it today but i, I like watching the avalanche like uh mckinnon's probably one of my favorite players that doesn't play for the preds so you know, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. That's for sure. Well, let's break down the show real quick, just uh, so everybody knows. Our producer, uh, Justice West, he's going to be joining us for the main segment where we talk about uh, co- uh, college football signing day. We're going to break down the rankings, the winners and losers, some interesting thoughts. He's going to join us for that segment. But we got our news and notes around college football. We got our Mount Rushmore segment, which is going to be very tasty today. And then we'll have our overtime to close it up. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's get to it. This is the Peace of Mind News and Notes. All right, start us off. Some college transfers, college football transfers received good news this week. Georgia transfer quarterback Justin Fields has been cleared by the NCAA to play immediately at Ohio State. And Eastern Washington quarterback Gage, can you say this name? Uh, Gabrud? Gabrud? Nah. Gabrud? Gabrud? 
Good old Gage, Gage. My boy Gage from Eastern Washington has been cleared to play at Washington State. I mean, a big, so, I mean, a big week for you. Got to be. I mean, we discussed it on one of the earlier shows, but if you don't get if you don't get um, Justin Fields being eligible immediately, you're in trouble at the quarterback position. So I think, you know, the Ohio State fan, yeah, you've got to be excited that, you know, you've got obviously this this game changer that's going to be under center for you immediately this year. But brings me to a question that I've kind of been just bouncing around in my head. Like, are we getting to the point where the NCAA is going to have to just get rid of the sit-out rule? If Tate Martell gets granted his eligibility, immediate eligibility at Miami, then I think you have to. Because what is his, what is his, what's like, what do they call it? The um, hardship waiver? Like, what is his hardship waiver? It was cold, man. It's cold in Ohio. I had to move to Southern Florida. What, what more do yeah. you want from me? Go, go spend a winter up there. Tell me that's not a hardship. That's what I'd say. But you know, no, I agree though. But like, <laughs> they. Could come up with something better. I mean, nobody wants college football. I think it would be too hard to manage. It's too big to manage. Like, even the NFL has rules. Like, there's free agency. You can't contact players. You have them this time frame to do it. Once this deadline is hit, there's no more. Like, there's rules to it. So you don't want college football to be this Wild West where a kid's getting ready to play week seven, and then he gets a phone call from so-and-so coach saying, hey, um, you know, what are your plans for next year? You thinking about coming down here? I mean, who knows if that would ever work, but why not come up with a rule where players can have one transfer? Like, you I, get I, one. I hate that. What, it, what Do you think it'd be fair if, you know, said kid could transfer and be eligible immediately if he was moving conferences? Like, in conference, I could see how that'd be an issue, but, you know, if I'm Why would that be State, such a big issue in conference? Well, I just think that it's more justifiable because I don't have to now play this kid. Or, let's say... If you're in right, the, like like Michigan State goes and gets a, a gets like a, a kid like a backup, but like oh we really want him, and the kid just breaks down your entire playbook. Right, like I'm I'm thinking of like Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Like oh okay, I'm pissed off because like I just lost my spot, so I transferred to Florida State, and now I'm competing against you, and like I'm able to take a lot of this knowledge over. I just feel like that complicates things more than you know oh I'm pissed off at Clemson, I go to Mississippi State or something. That's fair. So you can play immediately if it's out of conference. Mm -hmm. You have to wait if it's in conference. I also think that there should be like if if I was on if I was practicing and a part of your program during a particular year, then I would have to sit out. So like but if the person transfers in August, like before any games, he should be eligible the next August for whatever team he goes to. That's fair. Or if he enters the portal, then he should be he should be eligible. But if in Kelly Bryant's issue instance, now granted he's a, I think he's a fifth year, so he avoided this. But for Kelly Bryant per se, like he moved middle of the season, he should have to sit out this season. Yeah, mm, that's tough. That's tough. One other point I would like to bring up would be if a coach leaves, if the coach recruited you, then you should be able to transfer automatically that who knows if that would count i think that they have something like that but i agree with that all right well on to our second thing here former vanderbilt ad david williamson or williams excuse me passed away last friday on february the 8th he's the first african-american athletic director in the sec 
I, you know, for me personally, it, I never had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Williams, but it's something that for a person that's, that looks like me, that is an African-American, I can look to this man and his legacy and say, you know what? Someone like me can do this job. Someone like me can get to this position. And I think for kids myself and kids younger than me, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think his legacy will live on uh, much longer than any of us will ever be able to count on hand because now you have generations that can look to this man and say, that's an opportunity there that's accessible for somebody that looks like me. Right. And if you look at the what's happening in the NFL with the lack of minority coaches, you know, uh, interesting perspective is that we don't need minor, more minority coaches. We need more minority GMs. Right. And if you look at his last two hires, he had James Franklin mm-hmm. and Derek Mason, who are both uh, minority coaches who have had their fair share of their versions of success at Vanderbilt. Right. You know, uh, James Franklin, you could say, is extremely successful having back-to-back nine-win seasons. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big deal, especially uh, in a conference like the SEC, who truly lived in the turmoil of the Jim Crow era and the Civil Rights era. Right. I mean, so, I mean, that was just like the hotbed of it. And so if you look at schools in the North, most often time the, the, the color barrier was broken a couple decades before the sixties when you saw a lot of the first African-American players coming. And so uh, what's really tough about him is that Friday was supposed to be his retirement celebration. Oh, wow. His death was a sudden heart attack. Mm. And so he actually retired from the job, I think like nine days before he died. And so his, yeah, his retirement party was supposed to be that night, the day he passed away. So that's, that's just a sad situation. So our condolences go out to him and, his family and the uh, the Vanderbilt community. I know that kind of hit, hits home to us here in Nashville. So, right. I do want to touch on something you you brought or we brought up that he was the first African American AD in the SEC. But you know, I also did want to mention that there's there's going to be a a live showing of this of this film on UK's campus this week. But it should be available to the masses here coming soon. But I did receive an email from our athletic department uh, talking about the movie called Black in Blue. And it's a story that that goes uh, to talk about Nate Northington actually being the first African-American football player to break the color barrier in the SEC. I don't want to give away all the details, uh, but it's basically four African-American males that kind of were the pioneers of breaking the color barrier in the SEC. is Greg Page, Nate Northington, Wilbur Hackett, and Houston Hogg all at the University of Kentucky. That film's coming out this week. It's going to be shown on campus. Um, then it'll be made available to everybody. Uh, you can follow them and look up more info at blackinblue.org. But I would suggest anybody that's a college football fan definitely taking a look into it. So moving on, Miami wide receiver Lawrence Cager announces that he's transferring to Georgia. Uh, this is big news for the Bulldogs considering they lost four of the top five pass catchers from last season. Did you watch Lawrence Cager play at all? I, not as much this year because Miami struggled, but just by looking at his statistics, his his body frame, his statistics, and knowing that Miami wasn't very good offensively this year, I would say it's a hell of a pickup for Georgia. Like you how, impor- how important for Georgia is this pickup? 
Oh, it's huge. I mean, if you're losing four of your five passing weapons and you're losing, who was it Holyfield that left out of the backfield? Like, you've got to, you've got to replace that somewhere. And granted, they're, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but they're going to be in the top five, ten every year in recruiting, you would probably say for the near future. But it's, you can't, you can't put a price on experience and to have that that veteran leadership come in and be able to to help out with these new guys that you're bringing in, I think will be big for them. And it gives them, it gives them Jake another Fromm. target. Yeah. It gives them another target to move the ball to. Yeah. That's, that's huge. He's a big body, six, five caught six touchdown passes last year for Miami. A lot of the times was the guy running the slants, uh, going across the middle, which is, I mean, that's a big uh, advantage to have, especially in a physical conference like the SEC playing defense also has the ability to uh, get the jump ball when he gets down to the red zone. So that's huge for huge for Georgia. Uh, kind of like the, the rich get richer, man, right? Okay, well, can't hate him. I'd take him if you want. And he's a and he's a grad something. transfer, so he, I mean, he just plays right away. Right away. Mm-hmm. Yep. They also, I believe, they also got um, Eli Wolf from Tennessee as well this week. So a lot of moves uh, bringing in some extra offensive weapons. I'll be interested to see um, how that pans out for Georgia. Do you expect them to be in the college? Do you think they'll make the college football playoff again after all the losses they've had this season? Uh, just a off the cuff answer, no. Just just off the cuff. I mean, you know, off they the lost. Cuff, no, but yeah. I will say, I do believe they'll be in that eight to ten range of teams that have a viable reason to say, "Hey, we belong." I do think they'll be in that range. Yeah, they're in the discussion. A lot of things got to go right for them. Really curious to see how their depth holds up offensively. I think defensively, they're going to be fine. Yeah. Another one that's a little near and dear to your heart, but Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith announces that he's stepping down from the college football playoff committee, citing mentoring and monitoring the football program and first-year head coach Ryan Day as the main reason for leaving. You have more knowledge on this than I would, but how does this how does this work at Ohio State? How do you feel about him stepping down? Like, what's your initial reaction to this? I think it's I think it's a must for Ohio State. Ryan Day is the first coach that they've had that has had no head coaching experience uh, since 1946. Mm-hmm. And if you got to look at the past uh, four coaches that they've had, I won't include Luke Fickle because he's an interim coach. But Woody Hayes got hired in 1950, and he is a Hall of Fame coach. From 1950 to 78. Next up, Earl Bruce, Hall of Fame coach. Next up, John Cooper, Hall of Fame coach. Next up, John or Jim Trestle is a Hall of Fame coach. And Urban Meyer is not, but he will be. And so you're replacing five. What did I just mention? Four. Five. Mm-hmm. Five Hall of Yeah, five Hall of Fame coaches with a guy who's never been a head coach before. And so that's a big deal. And so I, I really think Gene Smith is going to do his best. To keep, especially with Urban around being an administrative role, I really think that Urban is going to handle a lot of the the administrative tasks of being the head football coach, like managing uh, coaching salaries and contracts and things like that, and let Ryan Day handle all the X's and O's as much as possible. Urban's so going to do it. How much mentoring, and is it more monitoring than mentoring, or how's that work? But the the relationship between Gene Smith and Ryan Day. I'd say it's definitely monitoring. I think Urban would be the mentor part of it. But I just don't think that – maybe it's foreshadowing. Maybe Gene Smith 
can, can see that there's going to be some turbulent times here in the next year and doesn't want to be off campus or worried about other things other than just the athletic program he's uh, athletic program he's running because they're the most profitable athletic program in America. Gotcha. Well, I'm sorry, the highest revenue mm-hmm. program in America. And so, yeah, I, I it just it, I think it's going to be important for him to be there. To be honest with you, I'd be I'm surprised that Gene Smith still has a job. I'm su- <laughs> the fact that he survived the Jim Trestle scandal and the Urban Meyer scandal. And I know this is not a popular opinion, but I think Urban did everything he was supposed to do by the book. Mm-hmm. I don't think like Zach Smith, the former wide receivers coach, should have been high, or should have been like on staff for as long as he did. But he didn't necessarily do anything that was against the law. I will say that I met Gene Smith once at a sports marketing conference and very, very nice man. Um, talked to me well beyond the minutes he should have spent on 22 year old AJ, but actually just kind of talked to me about like his job and what he does at that point in time. He was still AD, but he was sitting on the NCAA board for like selection show, uh, in the basketball well, tournament. Basketball, stuff. Yeah. But great dude. And, um, I always liked him, obviously, because of that. But good to see that he's still around and still involved in some things. I think he's really good at his job. I'm just surprised he still has it. You know, it's good for us to get – it's good for the good guys to get one every once in a while. Yeah. (laughs) All right, that wraps it up from the news and notes from around college football. Uh, We'll be back in a second after we hear from our sponsors. All right, so we're back here on the Peace of Mind podcast. Uh, I'm AJ, still here with Kevin. Kevin, what are you, you drinking tonight? I am. So I, uh, this shout out to my mother-in-law. I got this for Christmas, this high bank distillery company in Columbus, Ohio. This is a little bottle, and I had never tried it before, so I figured I'd just open it up, and uh, it's pretty good. I don't hate. I don't hate trying something Pretty new. Good. Let's Whiskey go. War from the High Bank Distillery Company in Columbus, Ohio. So if you're in Columbus, check them out. They're in Grandview Heights off Goodale Boulevard. Um, I think there's a restaurant with there too. So you can go there and eat. And I think they brew beer. Um, brew beer. They do vodka, and I think they do whiskey as well. Nice. It's pretty good. I went with good old Weller Special Reserve. I have maybe indulged in a few too many drinks this weekend. So I went back to the basics. So I didn't drink up all my good stuff. So that's what I'm at tonight. Shame on you for like thinking that Weller special reserve is not the good stuff. <laughs> well, it's, let me take that back. I'm sure, I'm sure most people won't even care. Like they're like, Oh, who knows? But like, <laughs> if, like some people will be listening on like, Oh wow. Special reserve is not even the good stuff to him. It's nice to have this be the, my step down, so to speak. You can't see my air quotes, but step down. Um, but it's just a good bourbon to have, and I don't mind having two, three glasses and overindulging. Oh, I'm definitely night. overindulging tonight because <laughs> I am currently holding a glass of whiskey and a glass of French wine. Yeah, so, nothing like double fisting on a Sunday. Let me get you, get you mixing, mixing the alcohol. <laughs> All right, so so we're talking about signing day here, Kev, and there's a lot to digest. Obviously, there's 130 Division One teams. Like, we obviously cannot go through and break down every single team, every single signee. But what we wanted to do was 
just take an overall high level look at this and decide or and and just spew out our thoughts. What did you think? You can have your own winners and losers. You can have um, things that stood out to you. We're just going to open this up and just well, free the, talk about it. The first thing we need to do is bring in our producer, Mr. Justice West. He's going to join us for this segment. If you guys haven't checked out the Fundamentally Useless Statistics podcast, Mr. Justice West is the co-host of that podcast where they break down mostly soccer, but they'll bring in other sports as well. But they break down uh, those sports and they they view them from the lens of uh, statistical analysis. So, Justice, welcome to the Peace of Mind. How you doing, buddy? It feels so odd to be on here speaking as opposed to listening to you guys a thousand times in the background. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a treat, isn't it? Oh, it's a blast. I'd just like to give all our listeners a heads up. We put Justice on a three Tennessee compliment minimum. Or maximum, excuse me. No, not minimum. <laughs> uh, three comment maximum because he'll talk to you guys all day about how this well, is a huge win for Tennessee. Well, well so here, a little backstory on Justice. Justice, you know, turned 18 years old. And like most high school graduates did, they decided to go to college. And he learned that University of Tennessee, when he got to the University of Tennessee, he learned that they played sports. And so then he became a huge Tennessee fan. And so we would label him like borderline bandwagon fan. Yes, absolutely. Borderline bandwagon is terrible. Absolutely not. That's not right for the basketball team. Well, because they're number one. It is basketball season. All fall, we don't hear anything Tennessee because they have a losing record. I guarantee you, if Tennessee's got a winning record next year, we're going to hear all about all about it from Justice. Well, everyone, we don't have to worry there. Is that not true, Justice? Is my my story not? The way it all turned out for you? Yeah, I'm not worried about us having a winning record next year, though, so it's not going to be any. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so real quickly on me, like Kevin said, I do have a little fun doing some podcast work of my own, but love being kind of a producer here for Peace of Mind, always in the shadows, but uh, first time, long time on the air, so this is a lot of fun. More or less, I am married here in Nashville, have two little dogs as my big intro, Dachshund and a little Minpin mix, which ter- terrible that Dachshund didn't make the Mount Rushmore <laughs> last episode, but that's neither here nor there. But I am a... First of all, if it did, it would not be called a Dachshund. We'd call it a wiener dog. Which, that's that works yes. too. Okay, all right. All right. I am a self-proclaimed signing day expert, so this is why I had to hassle them to let me on the podcast today. Well, we thought no better than a fundamentally useless statistics guy to come in and talk, arguably one of the most fundamentally useless statistics there is in college football, and that's arbitrary college football rankings. And from a Tennessee fan, too, which is our national championship each year, is signing day, because we know nothing in the season's going to happen. So, Yeah, with that being said, so all the listeners know, like, it's a big joke. Like, you grew up a Tennessee fan, so you did not just become a Tennessee fan when you were young or when you went to college. Correct. So just, just so that's... That's cleared up. <laughs> so, Justice, let me ask you this. You got Tennessee, and, and if you're following along at home, we're all looking at the 24-7 sports composite, composite breakdown of the recruiting classes. Justice, you're looking at Tennessee here sitting at 12 in the composite score. Are you happy about this? How do you feel versus this year, I guess, against other years previously? Well, to, to – 
to give it a little less Tennessee bias in my answer, I think the way we should look at a lot of these things is a little bit deeper than what's your ranking, what what guys did you have and what stars. So from a Tennessee perspective, I look at it and say, Jared Garantano got his bleep put on the ground all year, just left and right, just guys turnstiles playing offensive line. And you sign argu- arguably statistically the highest rated offensive line class in the country. So even though you might say, you know, could have had some more D-line guys, could have had some more skill playmakers, you sign two five-star offensive tackles, you sign, you know. You adjust of, your needs. You sign some four-star guards. You're keeping your quarterback up, which is your biggest weakness. So from a Tennessee fan perspective, it's a win, 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 win. Absolutely, 100%. Okay. Are there any are there any players in this class that – you could see being immediate impacts for Tennessee moving forward? So along that line, so obviously the offensive lineman. So you'll have a guy like Darnell Wright, who is a kind of, a, I'm, and I, I'm not looking at just 24-7 rankings here, but kind of a consist, consensus top 15 guide offensive tackle from West Virginia, from Huntington, West Virginia, just a mauler, like 6'5", 300-something pounds, just super athletic then you have a guy from Loganville, uh, Georgia, Grayson High School, very big-time producing college high school down in Georgia. You have a guy named Wanye Morris, another offensive tackle, a little bit longer and leaner five-star or kind of borderline five-star. On some sides, he's a four-star. But just those two guys alone with the guys you're losing might come in and have to play right away, which is not necessarily what you want in an offensive lineman. By any means, you want them to spend some time in the strength and conditioning program, get in there, but if you're going to have guys step in and play, you want them to be blue chip guys. Gotcha. Gotcha. All yeah. Right, we okay. used to say we, but just to add on to that, we used to say in high school for every sophomore you had starting, you could count that as a loss in your season. And so that, that analogy transfers to college football in the way that if for every freshman you have starting, you, you can count that as a loss on your, on your, in your season. And so, especially amongst the offensive linemen, you don't want to see where you're relying on freshman talent. I get that, Kevin. I want to I want to get your your breakdown as well. Now, I'll say this just from an outside perspective: um, Ohio State's in a little bit different uh, circumstance as Tennessee, who had um, closer to a twenty-five. A, standard 25 scholarships to work with you all were a little bit limited in the number of offers that you uh, that or commits that you had this year um it looks like it's pretty well spread out though like three five stars nine four stars five three stars are you are you happy with what you're seeing is this leftover remnants of urban do you feel like ryan day had a lot to do with this what's your take i think it's a it's a the whole situation being handled the way it did at ohio state that showed stability allowed the ranking or the class to be um, as plentiful as it could be mm-hmm. because the strength and conditioning coach, Mickey Marotti, is still there. Uh, most of the offensive staff is intact. The defensive staff has been overhauled, but the unanimous uh, recruit favorite coach, Larry Johnson, who arguably your most uh, impactful and successful coach, is still there. Director of player development, Ryan Stamper, is still there. So that, like, they have a lot of staff uh, being maintained there in Columbus. So they were able to get some guys, even though they had a head coaching switch. And if you look at the the average uh, the average rating per player, although Ohio State is finished with a composite ranking of 14th, 
you can chalk that up to being so low as, like you said, only having 17 commits. Because if you look at the average player ranking, um, they have a 91.87, which is similar to a lot of schools because you have Alabama and Georgia are far and ahead of everybody else at 94.38 and 93.32 respectively. But if you go by average player ranking instead of composite rankings, uh, looking at the whole class, Ohio State bumps from 14th to 3rd. So although the class was not big in size, um, the quality of players was really good. Which is why I want to jump in real quick with a producer hot take. And I don't want this to mess up any of my relationships at work since I sit with Michigan alumni and fans all around me. However, I think Ohio State... A very important Michigan alumni in the Peace of Mind podcast world. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. So... I will say my hot take. One of I have like a couple on, on in my holster here, but one of them would be Ohio State. I think pretty objectively had a better class than Michigan, and it pains me to say I'm not an Ohio State fan at all, and I hate Ohio State. But if I'm being unbiased, I like their class better. Yeah, well, here like I'm an Ohio State fan, and it's my podcast, so I'm going to talk a little <laughs> bit more about Ohio State right now. And so, like. Specifically, like the crown jewel is Zach Harrison, who's from Olentangy Orange High School right there in Columbus, just north of Columbus. And he was, you know, in potentially going to Penn State or Michigan. And Michigan really, up until signing, they thought they had a real chance at getting him. Was a guy that was like low key, uh, didn't make his commitment and his recruiting uh, public at all. He was kind of the crown jewel of the class. Uh, Garrett Wilson, who's from an athlete standpoint, the five-star receiver, the second best wide receiver in America. Uh, he's from Lake Travis, which is where presumably backup quarterback Matthew Baldwin is from, the same high school. Garrett's, it's a big deal because Garrett used to live in Dublin, where I grew up in Columbus. And uh, Garrett's older brother, Cam, was uh, a receiver when I was my last year in high school. And so I threw uh, a few touchdown passes to Garrett's older brother, Cam, and then he played at Iowa. Garrett's older, other older brother, who I coached while he was at Dublin Jerome High School, was a running back at Georgia Tech. It's good to see that kid come home. Honestly, did not even cross my mind when he committed that he was the same kid. But uh, last time I saw Garrett Wilson in person was when he was like 12 years old. A couple other things I want to talk about. I, Ohio State really stole... Uh, did it actually did a, lot, a really good job of keeping the talent in the state of Ohio at Ohio State. Other schools like Kentucky, no offense, Michigan State, those two schools specifically, and of course Michigan, they have um, oftentimes benefited from Ohio State recruiting nationally. Um, and Ohio State did a really good job of getting Mr. Football Kate Stover, uh, the linebacker, four-star linebacker. He's coming to Ohio State. They got the two linemen from Mentor and St. Ignatius, the two kids from Cleveland, the two uh, four-star. Also, want to highlight this one kid. Tell me if you guys have ever heard a recruiting story like this. Uh, my man, Cormonti Hamilton. He's a tight end from Memphis. He's a three-star kid. This kid wanted to go to Ohio State so bad that uh, on the, the Friday Night Lights camp that the Ohio State hosts and his official visit, took the oh no 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 not the official visit so Ohio State paid for that but the um his unofficial visit he took the what do you call it the what bus is it Greyhound 
Yeah, yeah, the Greyhound bus. He took the great. He bought his own Greyhound bus ticket from Memphis to Columbus, so he, he could attend that camp by himself. He did his unofficial visit by himself. You gotta love that, though. Any, have you ever have you ever heard Have you ever heard of that? I've heard not. some. You want to hear a fun story? So, you, you ever heard of a guy named Patrick Willis, former SEC All American? I'm a 49ers fan. Yeah, so well, he's this, not a no, 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 no. Patrick he's Willis. Out of he went to Ole Miss. Yeah, he was out of West Tennessee, high school player, little small school. Kid grew up bleeding orange, wanted to be nothing but a University of Tennessee player. So this kid, and obviously this is a long time ago, and I was young, so I don't want to butcher any facts here. But long story short, he and his like group of kids from that high school would take three, four, five road trips that season to Tennessee to try to get recruited by Philip Fulmer. They were begging him to get an offer. And more or less, they uh, Tennessee ended up taking a five-star kid out of Florida. I forget his name. It's going to bother me. But regardless, over Patrick Willis. So Patrick Willis didn't have a spot. Ended up going to Ole Miss, and thus the rest is history. And but, having 17 solo tackles against Kentucky AJ's freshman year. <laughs> so you do hear stories like that. They unfortunately don't always work out in favor of the kids. So it's kind of good to see it work out in favor of your boy there in Memphis. That's 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 unbelievable. Plus, what's even more unbelievable, like, the fact that his dad used to, like, just beat the shit out of him. Who? Like, they, like Patrick Willis. Really? Yeah. I think it was on the NFL Network, like, a Sports Life on Patrick Willis. Like, his dad was extremely abusive. And they were dirt poor. I mean, like, like leaking through the roof. Like, dirt poor. And that was one of the things with, and I'll say this to you about, the whole recruiting blowing up in the 21st century kind of deal that I think is a good thing is that the more, obviously it's still going to favor your kids with more resources and better high schools, et cetera. But the, just the continuous exposure of the money pouring into these recruiting industries, these ranking sites is only in my opinion, giving overall more players exposure that wouldn't have had it before. So these kids at these really poor high schools in the middle of nowhere all of a sudden get slightly more exposure because of just the whole yeah. booming industry. And so some of these kids get recognized a little earlier, which is good for them. Right. And this is why like recruiting rankings don't always pan out like, you know, to, I mean, for Alabama, obviously it has, cause they're playing for the national title every year, but you see kids that like, how did that kid end up at that school? Or like you see Leighton Vander Esch for the Dallas Cowboys. And it's like, how did that kid end up at Boise state? Well, it's cause he played like eight man football and, Idaho or whatever it was. Yeah, and and I think too to that point, um, you know, coming from the Kentucky portion of this podcast, but you know, we were overall ranked here at thirty four, which was um, quite a ways away from Ohio State and Tennessee. But it's actually it's refreshing for me to see that even though we're coming off one of our best seasons ever. Um, we didn't necessarily change our mindset recruiting. While we did pull in a few more of these uh, four-star recruits than we had been in the past, I really think Stoops and, and the staff, they really go for fit, which I think is getting the right, guys. More, right a little bit more important than stars. I, and I think some schools, you could argue, do it the wrong way. Um, you know, I hate to beat a dead horse, but you consistently see Michigan in the top, 
seven, top ten of these lists every year under Harbaugh. And yeah, they're getting these these high quality recruits, but when when you get out on the field and you actually have to produce, they're still missing the mark. And while I'm not comparing Michigan to Kentucky, I will say that the, it's relative. You're getting the it, most with what you got. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you have to. At a certain point in time, you've got to throw everything out the window and say, "Yeah, this this guy may be a five star, you know, pass defend or pass rusher." But you know, if we're if we're playing a different style of defense that doesn't that that doesn't necessarily pertain to, what good is that going to do me? And maybe stop trying to go just off of a star purpose and then say, "Okay, there's a three star guy that's really really good at what we do. Maybe it's." more worth my time to go after him than a five-star guy and shape him into what we do. Who's going to be the guy that replaces Benny Snell? In terms of, like, I'm sure you got a guy, but, like, in a recruit, did they address that? So, I mean, we did we did get a couple of, of running backs in this class. Um, I see you got a three-star from Georgia. Right. Travis uh, Tisdale. Tisdale. Mm-hmm. We got him, and then uh, I believe there was one – well, I thought there was one other, but maybe he was an athlete – my thing with that is we've got two guys on campus right now between AJ Rose and um can't think of his first name but uh last name Smoke who both AJ Rose got a little bit more of the carries this year but we saw Smoke in the Louisville game this season and he had a a great long run for a touchdown. He's got some explosiveness to him. We've also got another guy uh Rodriguez who is a bigger style running back like Benny. So I think in the running back portion, we're going to be fine. And also, you got to think we've got Terry who can use his legs and be mobile. I think we'll see a little bit more of that this year. But I honestly think the more we develop our passing game, the better off our offense will be because you can't really – I don't know if we're going to fill the void of that consistent four or five yards a carry that Benny had. But if you can stabilize it with the passing game, then I think that's going to open up a lot more uh, holes for our younger guys and and allow them to showcase their talents. Yeah, I'm looking at your recruiting class here. Your lowest rated recruit, three-star offensive tackle, Jake Pope. He's from St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So, I mean, even though you're – I mean, that's your lowest recruit – I mean that's a that's a high quality program right. that you're and getting I mean, kids from. If you, I mean just high level looking at it, we're averaging an eighty six and a half, almost eighty seven percent rating across the board from our recruits, uh, which is up from last year. So you're seeing the trend the right way, which is nice. And you know I take my hat off to Stoops and those guys because they're really working hard and and getting the guys that work for our program. But also in the back end, they are building up those guys. I mean, you see a, a two-star Josh Allen. You see a, a three-star Benny Snell. Like, you see these lower-star guys that they've really blown up into All-Americans, and that's great to see for our program trying to get, trying to become more of an established tradition and a force in the SEC, and I like that. I want to ask you both, and you guys can jump in wherever, whoever wants to go first, more so about your own personal recruiting stories. So AJ, Kevin coming out of high school, wearing the visors, wearing the 15 wristbands, big time recruits. I want to hear more, more about your stories. Just what that was like from your perspective. AJ, would you get recruited at Kentucky today? Would I get recruited? Probably not. No, I think while I think I I could still walk on and play there. I don't think that 
my level of productivity would have conjured up enough <laughs> of interest for Kentucky to come get me. And that's that's to speak to the product that they're putting on the field. I mean, as an alumni, that's what I want. I want to look on there and be like, yeah, these these guys that they're getting are, are very, very good. And it would have been – It's a product of the foundation that you, that you laid. Right. I, and I'll say this, Justice, you brought it up earlier and you spoke to – the, the amount of access that these kids have nowadays. A lot of these rating systems and stuff were really starting to, to take off and become popular around the time that I was being recruited. So, you know, a lot of people go to these camps, these spark camps and stuff like that. A lot of those started to take off um, in the 2007, 2008. Like well, you also had no social media. Right, no social media. YouTube, YouTube is like two years old. And this is, I would say you, in in my case, and, and I graduated from high school in 2006, you were very, you were very high tech if you had your recruiting film on a DVD. So. Hey, you, I'm high tech, man. I, yeah, I, I, had a, had a I, had a, I had a DVD cover label. Like you'd, like you'd print them off, peel them off, and then you'd slide them on the disc. Yeah, if you had if you had a, a a DVD like you were up there like a lot of the guys that I came out with had VHS and that's what you sent out. I mean, it still gets the job done. Like you still see the same thing, but it's just not as e- it wasn't as easy to have um, a lot of the contact with these schools. And I think that a lot of what happened during my time, I was not in very good shape and did not perform well my junior year. So going into my senior year, I didn't have too many offers and people looking um, at me per se to start my senior year what actually happened for me and luckily this happened but it was twofold one we ended up scrimmaging Alcoa a predominantly hey, high school team Randall right um, a lot uh, a lot of you may know Randall Cobb but he's probably the biggest name that has come out of Alcoa and gone on to you know have an amazing career in the NFL but was he already at Kentucky no, no, he's younger than I am. Oh, I didn't know that. But they, like, they're, they're, my senior year, their high school team had nine Division One prospects in some form or fashion. Now, granted, Randall was a sophomore that year. He hadn't got those offers yet, but eventually he would he would grow and get into that. So, I mean, they had closer to nine to probably 11 kids that were getting D1 offers. And uh, one of those and probably the highlight of their team was Brandon Warren. Um, he's a tight end, and he was probably top five tight end in the nation, honestly. And he ended up signing to go to Florida State. I ended up having to guard him one on one in a spring and a summer scrimmage uh, that we had against Alcoa. And in the spring scrimmage, I held my own, but I still kind of, I would say, like I still kind of struggled to to really significantly impact the game. But through a lot of conditioning and stuff, my going into the summer. I don't think he had to catch the entire the entire scrimmage, which was huge because I mean, with a recruit with his amount of like fame and the amount of coaches that were looking at him, a lot of coaches were there to see that, and so that actually led me to get my first interaction with the Division One team, which was Marshall. They had started talking to me early in the year, but I still didn't have the the statistics to back up or to warrant an offer. Um, I, I played removed out of the box a lot, almost like a rover, more so than a linebacker. And um, a good friend of mine, Robert, had actually gotten injured. 
Um, and he played in the box. So he got injured our first game of our senior year and had to sit out for about six or seven weeks. So I actually moved to his position and we brought in someone else to play mine. Uh, but in that time frame, in those seven weeks, I ended up accumulating over 100 tackles in in those seven weeks. Um, so I had for by the time he came back to and we went back to our normal defense, I didn't have to put up these crazy amount of stats because I had the stats. I had scoring on offense because I played tight end as well, but scoring on offense, multiple turnovers on defense, sacks, things like that. I had enough measurables to warrant getting some of uh, the notoriety that I was. And that led me to have a few recruiting trips to Marshall. I kind of had some other calls here and there from teams. I've mentioned this before, but I played baseball too. So I really wasn't in a rush to commit anywhere because I wanted to see what both sports would shake out to do. This is well into the end of my senior year. It's actually over right around the Christmas break time. I got a call from Marshall and the coach that was recruiting me at the time was like, hey, we like what we've seen. You've been up here multiple times. We want you to take your official visit. It was like the somewhere in like the 20s, January 20th or something. We want you to take your official visit to Marshall then. And it was the week before signing day. So the, the process was take your official visit, come see everything. If you still love it, like you, I've already been there multiple times, but if you still loved it, we'd sign and then you'd have your official announcing on signing day. Well, we get to January and about a week before I was going to take my visit, actually called me and pulled the offer because they they wanted to offer an actual an actual safety rather than someone who was more so a linebacker that could probably lose 15 to 20 pounds and play uh, like a strong safety type position they actually just went and uh, recruited a safety and had him sign and wanted me to walk on there and I kind of just at that point in time it was closer to baseball season I really I was kind of burnt on the fact that they didn't want me so i just kind of threw my hands up i was like you know what whatever happens happens like i'm not gonna walk on no fast forward the kicker on our team lona sieber he had originally committed to tennessee decommitted and signed with kentucky while signing with kentucky they saw film of him and saw me on the film brought me in for a visit and basically what they told me there was hey listen like it's outside of signing day we've already established our class but we could offer you a preferred walk-on, um, but if you can show us what you've shown us on film that you can play, if you could show us that here, we'll play you. And they also pitched that they had ties with the, the baseball coach, so if I wanted to double sport, that's something that they would welcome and would let me do. And so that initially was like the big, the big reason why I chose Kentucky. Long story short, I went to camp. I ended up starting the first game played every game that I was in college for, never played baseball. Wish that I would have, but since I went in and immediately started playing, it was kind of one of those things where uh, once baseball season came around, I was kind of just like, I just want to get in the best shape possible for football and see where this takes me. So I just went that route. So my, like I said, my story is a little bit different than stories nowadays. Um, I do feel like with the amount of talent I had, my size, my speed, the statistics I put up, those are very comparable to what I'm seeing from kids out of Knoxville now, and a lot of those kids are getting Division One offers. So I, I I do believe that it would have helped me uh, to be a little like to to grow up in this day and age. But it's also something that I'm very fortunate that it played out the way that it did, and I think that ultimately, uh, I, I, there's no way I could regret going to Kentucky. I think uh, it was a perfect fit for me at that point in time. 
we were more so a laughing stock of the SEC when we got there. And every single year that I was there, we had um, a winning record. We went to a bowl game every year. I mean, we accomplished a lot of great, amazing feats that you're seeing the team now build upon, which is, you know, just amazing in itself. So I'm, I'm very blessed and thankful for how that played out. It's crazy how our lives could have went so very differently. If you had grown up in this age, got offered by the university of Tennessee could have been so different. And <laughs> we've talked about this at length before, but I am in no way, shape, or form a Tennessee fan. Um, I grew up a very big Tennessee fan. I mean, like, Al Wilson had Thanksgiving dinner at my house with me. Like, we were big Tennessee fans. Like, I grew up, like, I knew T, like, I met T Martin multiple times, like, and he ended up being my coach, which was awesome. But, like, I was a big Tennessee fan, and through various things between my sister and her recruiting process with Tennessee and kind of some of the ins and outs between uh, the baseball and football coaches at Tennessee through like my junior day recruiting and stuff. It just wasn't a good process and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way with Tennessee. And from that point forward, I've just kind of been sour on them and yeah, that's why I am the way I am today. Mine is a, uh, my story is a, like could go down as one of the great scam artists of the United States history. Watergate. <laughs> Watergate, a Ponzi scheme. You name it. Like I, yeah, I, I fooled, I fooled a lot of people. Uh, well, no, I fooled one, one school. By all means, like I would consider myself, I was a good football player, uh, but I was, um, I was the quintessential white recruit. Every stereotype. Every stereotype that you would define a white athlete as, was, is, I was just Sneaky just let's fast. just name them all. He got his lunch <laughs> to work every day. I, I yeah, I, I think first you one look, the last one out. <laughs> I was the first, I was there, man. I not no joke. My senior year of high school, we did morning workouts and afternoon workouts. So you go to whatever one you wanted to, and I went to both. Yeah, like I was the kid that was making sandwiches and Gatorades and uh putting them in my locker and i would ask the teacher to go to the bathroom so i could eat my sandwich in the bathroom because i was never i could just never gain weight i did whatever it took like just lived in the weight room never missed a day you have no idea how many times after a high school game like walk into the locker room a parent would say like wow you look a lot bigger on the field than you do and for those of you <laughs> who don't know like i i thought i was five eight but i learned in college that i'm not five eight i'm five seven and three quarters and I'm not joking. Oh, I think I was. The, I think I'm the uh, in the 2009 football season. I think I'm the smallest Division One scholarship football player in America. I would I would bet my mortgage that I was the smallest Division One football player in America. What year? 2009. Be careful with that mortgage. Trendon Holiday. I weighed. Um, so th we. This is during spring practice. Granted. So for those, let me just let's just go backwards. Okay. So um, I had a, a friend of mine who's justice was a big Tennessee fan. His dad played football at Tennessee. His mom was a cheerleader at Tennessee. His brother and sister went to Tennessee. He uh, was a defensive end his senior year. They got a, a, a little known recruit freshman starter at the other defensive end by the name of Reggie white. Ah, yep. Never heard of that guy. So anyway, this son Connor wanted to go to the air force Academy or so. I don't know. Wanted to had a brochure or something like that. And he was filling out a questionnaire like for the football team. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And so um, I filled one out too. And I'm with AJ. So I, I we're in the days of, uh, of putting clips on a – there was no sound. 
It wasn't five minutes long. You had like 15 clips. That's it. And you put it on a DVD. Didn't like throw up this Gatorade signal and let you know like who I was. Yeah, like a little like a little like ring went around me and like (laughs) like on fire. No, none of that. So 15 plays. I had a, a position, not a position. He was a position. It wasn't my position coach in high school, Coach Gao. He was like, man, uh, you got. He was a big fan of the Air Force Academy and the other military academies. He's like, you would be great there. You know, like you're uh, again a student of the game. I was a coach's son. My dad coached for like 30 years. So like all those white stereotypes. Like I was hitting every single one of them. And so I fit the profile of what a service academy kid was. And um, I sent, I, I don't know how many DVDs I made, five, ten. I don't. I think I made ten because I still got extras. But I think he sent them to the Naval Academy, the Air Force Academy, and West Point. I have no idea who else sent them. But um, two weeks later, the Air Force Troy Calhoun is still the coach at Air Force. Calls and it calls and talks to my high school coach for like two hours. Then I'm working like I worked at, gosh, where did I, I worked at Best Buy. I was selling cam cameras. A <laughs> high school job. I le- yeah I left finish line and um, was selling cameras at Best Buy. It was the worst job ever. My goodness, it was terrible. And so my mom calls me on my cell phone. We weren't allowed to have our cell phones out on the job. And so my mom calls, and uh, she's like, call me back right away. It's like, okay, I did. And she's like, so uh, some coach from Air Force was calling. said he wanted to offer you a scholarship. And I was freaking out. I'm like, what, is that, were those are the exact words he used? Like, is that serious? Like, was he just talking about a scholarship? So nonetheless, I, I didn't believe her at all. And so I got home and I called, I called Coach Calhoun and we talked on the phone for like an hour and a half. And he's like, "Yeah, we want to offer you a scholarship. Come play at Air Force Academy." Talking about it all, I was like, "Wow, that's incredible! I could not believe it." I don't, I don't think I went to bed that night. <laughs> I never heard back from West Point. Never heard back from Annapolis. I had a recruiting coach. He, gosh, I don't even remember his name, but he came and recruited the state of Ohio. He came and visited the school. I took my unofficial visit to Air Force November of that year. So this is my junior year of high school, right after my junior year of high school. I took my unofficial visit, went to the BYU Air Force game, which was incredible. Because back in those days, the Mountain West was wild, man. Like, like uh, BYU was ranked 15th. They had Max Hall and Dennis Pitta, Harvey Unga. Like, they had a lot of players. They were top 15 team every year. And then uh, also in the league was Utah, who before they went to the Pac-12, and they were really good every year. Uh, we had TCU with Andy Dalton, Jeremy Curley, all those guys. Uh, they were a perennial top 20 team. And then right before, uh, gosh, I think actually I think all those schools left. Boise State was going to join. So I remember on my recruiting visit, like in the conversations, they said, you know, if you win the Mountain West, you're going to go. You're going to go to a BCS bowl because Boise State was. TCU did go, and obviously Utah. I mean, they're in the Pac-12 now, but. So yeah, I, I, uh, I honestly, I don't even remember when I committed. I don't know how that process went, um, but I had no other Division One offers. I never went to a camp. I don't even know if I ever made a rivals or twenty four like any recruiting profile. If I would have been, I would have been a two star kid. Man, I look like a young Sean McVay, don't I? <laughs> I could be coaching the like Sean McVay. Period. <laughs> you're the, you're the same right. age, basically. What the hell am I doing with my life, man? So no, I um, man, I wish like I think the program in the I think like my height and weight in the in the high school program was like five ten, one sixty five. Man, I weighed a buck forty four my senior year of high school. 
every time that recruiting coach came in, I made sure I wore sweatpants and a sweatshirt. <laughs> I, everything I could to make me look a little heavier than I was. I wore like three pairs of socks in my Timberland boots when Marshall came to see me because my coach was like, they want you to play safety. He's like, so wear black and look tall. And I was like, got it. So I'm trying, I'm wearing like the tightest shirt possible to like mush everything in. So I look like this slim looking strong safety. And I wore these boots and I just remember walking into the coach was like, oh, the, the thing said you're six foot. You look about six two. And I was like, you know, I'm still growing. Like, <laughs> uh, I had no business looking at me to play safety. Like, Man, no I was terrified. All. Every time they came into town, I was terrified. I was like, they're going to pull my scholarship. They're going to take it away. And, um, I mean, they didn't, They really didn't care. Like, at the time, they had Chad Hall, who finished, I think, fifth in the Heisman in 2007. I mean, the kid was unbelievable. I think he played uh, played for the Eagles, and then he played for the Falcons. So, I mean, he was a legit player. But he was a, a one of the like the same type of kid that they were recruiting, and I found out that they just wanted quarterbacks. They wanted quarterbacks that they could put all over the field on offense, and because they wanted to run the triple option, but at warp speed like Oregon did. Mm-hmm. And so you needed a bunch of because we're going to formation people, so they just recruited a bunch of quarterbacks. And so here I am after my junior year, I've got one scholarship. I think it's gosh, two weeks into the recruiting process, I got one scholarship offer, and I'm like. Cool. Like, call it a day. I'm done. I, I'm good. Like, I got one school. We're fine. Let's just do it. I, I, I don't think I got recruited by. I didn't think. I didn't send a film to anybody else. I didn't get recruited by anybody else. I do remember my going into my senior year. I went. I had some buddies that were one played at Toledo, and the other played at OU. So they played in the MAC, but they were trying to get offers and go through the whole process, and they had much more measurables than I did. But we went to the Bowling Green one-day camp, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'm already committed to Air Force, but why not? I'll go with you guys. I actually got fired at my job at Air, at Best Buy because of this because I, <laughs> I, I went to the camp and didn't tell anybody. Yeah, so I went to the camp. It was a complete waste of time. And I was like, I was already committed to Air Force. I had, a, I had an offer already. Who, In my opinion, like Air Force is better than Bowling Green. And so like Bowling Green coaches didn't know who I was. And I remember doing drills and there were kids that were bigger, like longer. It just like I would perform better in the drills, but you could just tell like better. Oh, yeah. They just look better. Like, oh, this kid's never going to play college football. And they obviously had no idea who I was. And so took my official. I mean, I committed to Air Force well before I took an official visit. I did my unofficial. I took my official visit. I took my mom out there. My unofficial. I went with my dad. You know, did the whole like treatment thing where they take you out to dinner, go to the stadium, walk around the field. You know, you just, I mean, you're living large compared to what I see now with like what Clemson did. I'm like, golly, how did I fall for like what Air Force put out in front of me? <laughs> a little, little video, like a little PowerPoint presentation. Like, oh, this is what they, they got me on. I'd have been a sucker for all this stuff now. Yep. <laughs> Let me ask you. And so, I'll tell you. I was just going to, I was going to laugh because, you know, you, you mentioned like, hey, your mom calls and she's like, hey, somebody called, they're offering your scholarship. So like, you're super excited. Like, you you know, obviously it's that first one. So you're trying to make sure like it it is like, hey, is that what he said? Like, is this exactly what he said? But <laughs> I just remember I used to always come home, like, especially like in December, because it was right in between like the end of football and the start of me training for baseball. So 
I would always come home and just kind of like catch a nap till my parents got home. And I just remember one time I'm downstairs asleep and my mom yells downstairs and she's like, hey, pick up the phone. And I'm like, I'm asleep. She's like, it's a college coach on there. So I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, from where? And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, all right, whatever. So I just get on the phone. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello, this AJ. He's like, hey, AJ, this is coach such and such. And I was like, oh, hey, coach. He's like, listen, like I said, I'm coach such and such from Virginia. And I was like, oh, snaps. Like, it's a big ass deal. Like, it's huge. And what seemed like 45 second pause, it was probably only like half a second. But I swear it seemed like 45. But he was like, from Virginia at Wise. So it's University of Virginia at Wise, which is like, I don't know, some teeny, teeny, tiny school for football. But the pause in between University of Virginia and the at-wise was so drastically large. Like, I didn't hear anything else for, like, the next five minutes. And then I was like, hold on, you ain't University of Virginia? And then I was just like, why am I on this call? Like, I know I'm not going no. here. Like, I, well, I so better. after the uh, uh, the Bowling Green one-day camp, you know, everybody's like, we did, like, an end-of-camp breakdown with the whole team and the head coach came out and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And uh, all the, like – I go to grab my bag and the uh, a coach from Kenyon College, which is like a small D3 liberal arts school in, in Ohio, they play in the same league as Mount Union and they lose they lose to them like 70 nothing every year. Yeah. They're like a perennial 1 and 11 team. They're terrible. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, I'm at Kenyon College, you know, just uh, you know, I think you could fit in with us. You're exactly the type of guy we want." I was like, "Nah, buddy. Thanks. Nah. Thanks, buddy, but and uh, I, he was like, "Can I have a, do you have a highlight film? And I took a couple. So I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, had all the information. He kept calling and calling. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but like, it ain't going to happen, man. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this. So I know we're a football podcast, but like I mentioned, I played baseball. A couple, like we had a really good baseball team. And so we, a couple of guys on my team had gotten offers from or had gotten some interest from Walter State. Um, if you're not from Tennessee, you might not be familiar with Walter State. But in the JUCO world, like Walter State's baseball program was really, really good. Um, I actually think the two years that had I signed and went to Walter State, they finished third and they won the, the JUCO national championship in baseball. So they're a really good JUCO team. They put over 17 guys back into Division One programs after their two years. I mean, they're they're really tough. They're top notch, and so. A couple of my teammates had gotten some interest from them and were going to go up there. And they called my coach and they were like, hey, we've got a couple of your guys coming. Is there anybody else that um, you think we should see? And so my coach was like, well, we got another kid. He's still deciding between baseball and football, but like we think that you guys might like to see him. So I'm like, all right, cool. So my coach, it's like during school, though. It's like we had to be there at like 1130, but I got the whole day out of school. So I was like, oh, yeah, uh, oh, I'm definitely going to this. And so we go up there, and it's a friend of mine who plays center field, um, a friend of mine who plays shortstop, and a friend of mine who plays second. Now, I played third and outfield from my freshman year to my junior year. My senior year, our offensive lineman tore his ACL and was kind of hobbled, so he just DH'd, and I played first base my senior year. I was just an athlete playing first base. Not good, just an athlete. I could catch the ball, stand over there. Got it. So... We we go up to this camp and we start by fielding drills. So my guy goes out center field, shags all the fly balls. Cool. We go into the infield drills. He's hitting like grounders to 
uh, my shortstop and my second baseman so they can work on their fielding and throwing. And, like, they throw a couple in the dirt, and I make, like, really good picks to, like, get it out the dirt and still get them out. Um, I actually, like, have a full split that I catch one and pick out. And they're like, oh, okay, nice. So then he hits me ground balls. And, like, normally when you're going through these drills, like, I mean, you want to see the guy's range of motion, but you're not, you're not, you know, making him go bare hand things like in the in the hole and stuff. Like you just want to see if he can feel and do the small thing. But the coach like rips one past like at me, but like nowhere close to me. And he's like, "Oh my bad, let it go." But by the time he says "let it go," I'm already like full stretched out diving for it. I catch <laughs> it, catch it, and throw it from my knees across the diamond all the way to third, like on the die. And he was like, "Huh." All right, cool. So we go through those drills, and then we go to hit. Now, mind you, I was, like, supposed to be the tag-along, so I'm not supposed to be, like, shining. Like, this is for my other teammates. So my other teammates go, and we go to the hitting portion. They all get about 25 pitches. And, they're, I mean, all of them ended up going to play collegiate baseball, so they were really, like, they were good. And they were, you know, they are doing their thing. And so I go up last. He's like, all right, let's see what you guys <laughs> throws one over. I watch it. Throws another one over. I watch it. He throws the third one in there. Yeah. Hit a home run. I was like, oh, snaps. All right. Cool. He throws the next one in there. Yeah. Hit a home run. I was like, oh, boy. He throws the next one in there. Yeah. Hit a home run. I was like, oh, I'm feeling it today. And so he's like, all right, don't try to pull one. Let me see you hit something opposite field. Now, the next one he throws in there. Yeah. Oppo home run. I ain't see more than six pitches. They were like, all right, we're done. And so <laughs> we, go, <laughs> we go on a tour. We go on a tour, like, the facilities and stuff. And he pulls me aside. He's like, hey, listen, like, what you showed us today was outstanding. He's like, we're just going to go ahead and offer you right now. <laughs> like, offers me all this spot for baseball. It's incredible. But at that time, I had already been in talks with Kentucky, and I've, I was still kind of in the balance. But – 18-year-old me was like, well, I'm not going to go to JUCO when I got a chance to go play SEC football. So I ended up turning it down. But it was just one of the that's funniest the, things. Because, like, I got back in the car. My boys were like, what the hell? I was like, I, I didn't know. What, what you could have rented professional baseball, AJ. Yeah, don't let the SEC bias take you over, man. It just, it just means more. It just meant more. It just means more. Kevin, I got a question for you, though. You were talking about, like, your highlight film and stuff. If you had to send, like, two plays – to a school to like get them to recruit you or whatever. Do you know what two plays you to send them? Uh, I think so. All right, let's hear. We got to remember. So like I'm a 5'8", 145 pound kid. So like I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to play quarterback in college. Mm-hmm. And I like, I well at Air Force, like I thought maybe I could because I mean, you don't have to be tall to run the triple option. Like right. you don't throw the ball, but five times a game. You just, right. I just need to put on a lot of weight because you're going to run the ball like 20 times a game. And so there's one where it's a speed option against a perennial playoff team. They put guys at big-time college schools, and I run the speed option. And if you pause the clip right at the right moment, like I – like this is right after I had – like the guy tried to slow play – the defender tried to slow play me, the linebacker. And so I decided to cut it up. And if you pause it right at the right moment – there's like a safety, a linebacker, another linebacker, and a defensive lineman, like right there. Like I'm surrounded perfectly by four guys, and I just cut it opposite field, take it about 25 yards. And I ended up getting 
uh, pulled down at the goal line. But the thing that pissed me off most about the drive was it was like 0-0 the whole game. And on three called quarterback runs, like I have three rushes for 75 yards, like back to back to back to back. And we get to the one-yard line, and we hand it off to another kid, and he scores a touchdown. What's, what's this, the part in uh... – in Varsity uh, Blues. Varsity Blues. Or, you see what he's doing to me out there? I'm his workhorse till we get in the goal line. <laughs> yeah. Like, absolutely love it. Like, quarterback, like, we finally just open it up. I run the 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 zone read, take it for 20 on, like, a quarterback rollout. Like, we run flood. No, nothing happened. I cut back. We run for, like, 25 yards. Then run the speed option. Run for another 25. Man. And then we get to the goal line. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if I have enough gas to punch this in. And, they're like, we run a – a jet sweep to a kid going to that <laughs> man terrible okay, but so then there's another play where like i took a legit five-step drop out of the shotgun which is a big time drop for a high school kid and we ran a uh, like a doubles all go twist little texas twist and i hit the kid on um kid going across the middle down by the pylon and just stepping up into the pocket two edge rushers step up and just throw a 45 yard dart to the back of the end zone and then, like, one of the few plays that makes me look like a real quarterback. Because to be honest with you, I was just an athlete taking snaps. Mm-hmm. And so just to say, like, hey, you know, I could do both if you really want me to. <laughs> I could open up this Air Force attack. You just let me know, Coach. I'll sling your let me skin around the yard. <laughs> so I mentioned, I mentioned that I was the smallest Division One player. So my freshman year, I played in the first game of the year against Nickel State. We won 72-0, to which is still Division One AA at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I played um, played against San Diego State, and we won twenty six to nothing. And then uh, I played against UNLV, which is still. I mean, all these schools are. I mean, you, uh, San Diego State's good now, but like all these schools, like not that great. I mean, even going into the bowl game, I pulled my I pulled my hamstring like two days before the bowl game. So like I would have played, and I practiced all week in the bowl practices as like a number two guy, but just didn't play. But going into that spring practice, you know, at the at the Air Force Academy, all football players have to participate in the regular classes that the cadets do. So uh, in spring practice, I did during spring practice, we had uh, swimming, eight classes of swimming and then eight classes of water survival. And so we would go straight from on, you know, we do the classes every other day. But on the days we had football as well, or the days we had class, you would jump out the pool and you were in full uniform, you'd run across in Colorado in February, it's freezing, you'd run run across campus, and you would go to the football locker room real quick, take your clothes off, shower real quick to warm up, and then put your, you know, your pads on, and you would take the late bus to spring practice. And so they would bus us over to the stadium in February at 7,000 feet, and then like you'd get up, and it was like a 35-minute period practice, or 35-period practice, and we'd show up at like period 10, and uh, you would just get off and just go like you're right into practice. And after doing that for all of spring practice, um, we did our post spring practice like physical breakdown. Like we did a body a body scan for your body weight and your body mass uh, index, and uh, they would do the height and weight measurements and all that stuff. And after that spring practice, I was a Division one football player that measured in at five seven and three quarters and 149 pounds. Yes. Because I could, I, I I just couldn't keep weight on, like after going through the military training that we, I mean, like we had squad training that we would do in the mornings, like you had to as a cadet, 
That's and so wild. then you would you would do that, and then you'd have football workouts, and then you'd take water and uh, swimming and water survival, and then you'd go to spring practice, and like you just couldn't keep weight on. That's incredible to me. I think the lowest that I was in high school was, or in in college was, two twenty eight. I think I went into high school at two twenty five. So being two twenty eight in college was impressive. But yeah, no, I definitely never had a problem of keeping weight off that. that so after at, after basic training, I weighed one hundred and sixty five pounds. That's wild. I I did want to. I I know that we we wanted to open this up to to talk a little bit more about how our process went, but I did want to ask you some things about the list and and the way that it shook out this year. The first thing that jumped off the page to me was Oregon at seven. Well, they got the national player of the year. I mean, I think they got the number one recruit in America. I mean, Justice, am I wrong? Like, didn't they get the number one kid? He announced on, um, he announced on national signing, or not on national signing day, like before the uh, the early signing period. So at this level, there wasn't like in this class, in my opinion, and you can kind of see that based on the other sites, a clear number one kid that was just above and beyond. But they did get a consensus top 10 guy. Defensive end, I think right. Th- Thibdo, Thibodeau, Thibodeau, something yeah, Thibodeau. like that. Thibodeau, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elite kid, yeah, absolutely. So, But even yeah. then, like, it, it's shocking for me to see them that high because I don't, you know, over these last few years, they've not been extremely Relevant. competitive in the, in the Pac-12. And, I, you know, it's shocking for me to see them this high. I mean, when you look at... When you look at the teams that are in here, these are, you know, the usual suspects. The Oregon stands off the page to me. Where And then uh, the next time you see somebody in their division or in their conference is Washington at 17. I mean, Washington, the past two, three years has, you know, played in BC or I said BCS, college football playoff bowls. Like, they've been right there in the mix of things to see them so far down compared two to the last three years. Right, it's, it's yeah. wild to me. Another few takes that I got: Arkansas being at twenty-three, I think is huge. I I end up looking and watching Arkansas football a little bit more because a friend of mine that I used to work with was a huge Arkansas fan. So, just from us spitting around a lot of SEC knowledge, I ended up watching them a lot. But they were atrocious this year. I mean, they were just terrible. So for yeah, them to bad. bounce back off of a terrible year, because I think Chad Scott's their head coach. Um, um the kid from uh, is it Chad Scott or Chad Morris? Morris from Clemson. Morris. Chad Morris, That's... the dude, the dude that was the head coach at uh, SMU. Right, right. He's now taking over for them, and I think that you know it will take some time for them to move the program back around. But for him to 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 parlay a terrible season into a top twenty five class is huge, in my opinion. Um, I think that's really big for them. Also saw like. South Carolina's up here. I think they're a product of getting a lot of in-state guys that end up having a lot of high rankings. But, I mean, this list, it, it bodes well for college football. One thing that I will say is shocking to me, and, you know, a lot of you aren't privy to this, but in our coaches' chat, you know, we have, or in our coaching breakdown uh, for the West End Middle School team, we have Kevin, who's an Ohio State guy, me, who's a Kentucky guy, Justice, who's a Tennessee guy, Sam Grayson, who's an Auburn guy, and then we've got Kyle, who is a West Virginia guy, and he gives us crap about not bringing up West Virginia enough, but when I look at this, West Virginia was the seventh highest, they were they finished at 48, and they were, they finished seventh 
in the Big Twelve in recruiting. And while I think lost the number guy, number one guy in their state, Tennessee. Right. Yeah. And while I, while who's I their coach? Who's their coach, by the way? Neil Brown is their, is oh, okay. their guy. Um, wow. Former former uh, Kentucky offensive coordinator who went to Troy and really, I mean, he had three ten win seasons there, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and now he's at West Virginia. And I do think he's a good hire for them. But if I'm looking at if I'm looking at the Big Twelve, you know, Texas, they're cranking them out right now. Oklahoma, they're cranking them out right now. TCU, uh, Gary Patterson, he's always going to have them relevant. I get that. But if I'm West Virginia, you've got to be in that top four. Um, B- or Baylor, uh, they've had their issues previously with some on-campus, um, on-campus things that have, have gone on that have really pushed people away from that program. But they were number four in their league. Oklahoma State and uh, Coach Gundy, they're always impressive. So, like, they're they're in there, but like Kansas is nine, so they're they're on West Virginia's tail right now, and you gotta you gotta think that, you know, Les Miles is going to get them into the fold, and they're gonna be a team to be reckoned with in the recruiting battle. So if you're West Virginia, I I, I just feel like eventually you've got to Neil Brown's gonna have to do something to start pulling in a little bit higher recruits to establish themselves as a perennial powerhouse in the big 12 or they're going to fall they're going to end up falling down into that mediocre pit and i mean you'd hate to see that because i do think that west virginia um, has has kind of blossomed into this great story now versus you know when pat the last time they were super um relevant was when pat white and uh steve slayton were there but you know divine if you want if 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 i'm looking at this from kyle's perspective i want to say like we need to be up in that top five. Like there's, and there's no reason Iowa State should be out recruiting us. Right. Here's what I'll break down from the from what I what I noticed on National Signing Day um, is, well, we're gonna lump National Signing Day in the early signing day period as one because we know that college football now has changed, mm-hmm. and most of the recruits are already wrapped up. I think Clemson's all of Clemson's recruits were signed on the early signing period, not one signed on the national signing day. So, I mean, there's, it's just two events now. Uh, can anybody slow down Alabama? I mean, it's just unbelievable. They've got three five-stars and 23 four-stars. Now, granted, on national signing day, they lost the four-star uh, kid from Florida, uh, the four-star linebacker to Tennessee. Who's that kid, Justice? From California? Henry. Henry two uh, two of. Toto, Toto, forgive me. He's gonna have a fake girlfriend like Manta Teyasin. <laughs> I don't care as long as he brings the Hawk of the Tennessee. Yeah, well, that'd be yeah. That's well, if he's Hawaiian, sure, for by all means. But then they lost the uh, defensive tackle to LSU as well. So on signing day, they did lose three kids. But granted, I mean, twenty three four stars and three five. Would they have one three star recruit? And uh, <laughs> that just. <laughs> It just blows my mind away. Like, and, and this kind of leads into my – I feel like most of the National Signing Day rec, uh, rankings were pretty par from the course besides a couple like Oregon being up there, Clemson being so low. I mean you could argue Ohio State being so low, but it's all pretty much the same schools. And so right. when it comes to like you got Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee, all in the top 15. 
when it comes down to the SEC, really, like I will admit that the SEC is the unanimous like crap, like the champion of National Signing Day. But at the end of the day, like who cares? Because at this point, it's Alabama's going to win it all, and they're going to be the only representative in the playoff. So like, can somebody finally dethrone Alabama? Which, based on what they did on National Signing Day, it's like. No, nope. <laughs> it's not. It, it's not trending that way. I mean, somebody's just going to have to be hot at the right moment. Also, what I noticed is Texas being at number three. I mean, that's big for Tom Herman. Uh, they really kind of capitalized on, you know, their big bowl win, their their New Year's uh, six bowl win uh, when they took care of um, Georgia. I mm-hmm. uh, kind of kept that going. Also, um, Clemson, like I mentioned down before. Clemson's down to 10 and you thought maybe like it was an Ohio state situation where they didn't have as many guys, but they had 29 recruits. Yeah. A lot of those were three stars. Yeah. Only one five-star kid. So I don't know. Is this the beginning of the end for Clemson? And I know I will say, and again, I try to bring as little bias as this is to possible, but uh, growing up, you just always heard about the over signing that happened in the sec with the competitiveness of it. I look at LSU, or I'm sorry, not LSU, but Ole Miss, and they have 31 commits. Like that is an amazing amount. I don't. Well, know you do know the new rules, right, Kev? They're SEC only rules. Well, I say new rules. I'm old, so they've been around for about five years. So the SEC implemented a rule, and I know it's it's in theory the college rule, but you can only sign 25 kids a class. SEC mandated rules, and Ole Miss. Ironically, under Houston, that was actually the reason for the rule because they signed like 35 kids in one class. More or less, there's all of these weird manipulation of numbers that can transpire where you're counting kids forwards, you're counting kids backwards. Some of them are gray shirts, some of them are blue shirts, some of them are – it's all over the place. But, yeah, it is ridiculous in the SEC. Did Ole Miss get a couple of scholarships back, back. now this year? Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought about that. And so they had the the space after the NCAA sanctions to get kids back. I also – so just to bring it home a little bit, you know, the Big Ten West is obviously the, the inferior division in the Big Ten. I see schools like Nebraska and Purdue at 19 and 25. I mean, Purdue has a top 25 recruiting class. I mean, like to me that's – that's unbelievable. And um, so kudos to them. Not far behind them is Wisconsin at 27, which I feel like is right where Wisconsin wants to be. Right. I mean, they're one of those schools that they're just going to get the guys that they want to get. And, you know, they haven't really been national. I mean, they've been nationally relevant, but not a national contender since they had Russell Wilson at quarterback. And they got probably uh, a five-star freshman that's going to start at quarterback this fall. So that's – that's what really stood out for me when it came to National Signing Day. Yeah, I like a lot of those. I looked here. It really brightened my day to see Louisville in the 70s. That's just delightful. They could be lower in my perspective, but that's just one man. Also, Indiana being in the top 40 is, I mean, that's big. I know that Kentucky, when we were changing the program around, breaking into that top 40 was like a big like mile marker. So I do think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, North Carolina is a team that I want to keep my eye on. They're at 32 this year, and we touched on it in one of our first episodes, but we talked about did Mac Brown still have the pool 
to get kids to get on campus like he used to. I'd be interested to see where this number goes from this year over the next two years. Uh, same with Arizona State. Them at 31, I am a huge, huge Herm Edwards fan, so I'd love to see where that number goes over the next year or two and to see, like, hey, uh, are people buying into what Herm's selling? Are he, is he still getting kids? To Do you think he school? walks into a living room and says, you play to win the game? <laughs> I don't – probably not, but I'll tell you this. like, Or he'll do, like, the whole, like, hey – you know what? When you get to the NFL, you get one car. Like you, you got all this money. You don't need ten cars. You get one car. If if and, I if if I'm a family, like if I'm a if I'm a father and my son is looking at schools, and Herm Edwards comes to my house to talk to my son, and he's preaching the things that he has said on many of ESPN networks over the past few years, I gotta be. I gotta feel like. Hey, I'm doing right by my kid by sending him to this guy because you know he's gonna institute character things with your child. Like he's gonna make sure to grow your kid into an adult. That's just the way he's operated, and that's the way he carried himself with the Jets. That's how he carried himself at ESPN. You know everything that I've ever heard this man talk about, whether he's coaching in like the high school All American game or what, or just covering shows on ESPN. Like everything is about character and like. You know, put your phone down. You know, don't 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 tweet. Don't don't save it in your drafts. Like leave that. And yeah. I think that that's huge. But also, like you've got a guy that when you when you do blossom into this recruit that everybody hypes you up and sells you on who you're gonna be, you've got a guy that can keep you astray or at least tell you the things up front. You know, hey, these these agents. That's what you need to be on the lookout for. And you know, if you if you end up leaving and you sign. Think of your money this way. Don't spend it. Don't spend it all herky jerky here and there. This is how you make this the long game. And I think, like, for me as you know, a guy that one day wants to be a parent, like that would be huge for a coach to come in and talk about. I want to hop right into some questions real quick. That we'll kind of play a game. We'll kind of be all PTI for you, and we'll go fifteen seconds or less each. Sometimes maybe even only one word responses. So just rapid fire questions. We'll see how this goes. My therapy sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, Absolutely. There are no wrong answers. You're already in couples therapy, AJ. (laughs) There are no wrong answers here. (laughs) I love it. So I'm here for this. All right, here we go. Again, I'm going to hold you to this. I'm going to cut you off if you go long. One word answers are awesome to you as well. Florida State has not signed a quarterback in two classes. They're the only Power 5 school in like the recent history of the last 15-year rankings to do that. What are your thoughts? Taggart will be fired. <laughs> Next. My thought is he's just bad luck. No, 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 the, the gif, the meme. <laughs> <laughs> you can post that on social media. On the, the, the meme. You, no, that's what, that's what you're thinking of. Justin Blackman said, hey, hey. I'm the quarterback now. That's right. It's just, I mean, you had Blackman and you had Francois on your team. You and they have, have needed one. a quarterback. Now you now you're missing one. Now you need one. They have yeah, one and, scholarship and quarterback. France and and Blackman's like a like a hurricane gust of wind away from being out for the season. Right. All right. Next. All right. Next. So, let's go with. 
the SEC had six of the top 12 composite ranked classes. Thoughts? Doesn't matter because they're going to lose to Alabama anyway. It falls in line with how it's players are shaking out as far as the top recruits have, or excuse me, not top recruits, but the most amount of draft eligible players have come from the SEC. It makes sense. This means more, but moving on. <laughs> so Oklahoma in very Oklahoma fashion by some sides, not necessarily 24 seven that we were looking at has signed the top rated quarterback in the class in Spencer Rattler and three five-star wide receivers bumping their class all the way up. So Oklahoma signed a very Oklahoma class. Thoughts? What'd they sign on defense? (laughs) That's a great response. Kevin? Offense, it'll get them to the playoff. You don't have to play off. You don't have to play defense in that league. And so if you're going to get to the playoff, all you have to do is manage two wins. And so if that's the style you're going to play, go for it. Love it. Another fun question, and this is you get a one-word answer for each. I know you guys don't follow recruiting all the way, but you can see rankings as much as any other fan on websites. 24-7 ranks the number one and two class, kind of interchangeably between sites, is Alabama, Georgia. Pick one. Bama. Alabama. All right, number three and four classes on 24-7 composite rank Texas and Texas A&M in-state rivals. Pick one. Just going to take a second here and say, like, just shine light on the fact that Texas A&M was in the Big 12 for a long time. I sincerely, not to be a hater, but wish that Texas A&M was in the Big 12. So I think that would be so much more fun than them being in the SEC West. To me, they're so so much more irrelevant in the SEC West than they would be if they were in the Big, uh, Big 12. I like them in the SEC but they should have to play Texas. Yeah, I like that. And the answer to my question is Texas. Yeah, I'll take Texas. Okay. All right, so this is a little more open-ended question. And you can, based on whatever criteria you want, but this is hot take, flaming hot take answer, super short. Which coach was the most disappointing coach in regards to recruiting the signing class? Whatever metric you want to use. You know, I spent all this time researching. I like was ready to go off on the coaches I was most impressed with. But I thought, to be honest with you, Manny Diaz, inability to close for Miami, I thought was pretty disappointing. I mean, he was the head coach at Temple for like two weeks. So the fact that you've been in, in Miami for since 2016, you've been the D coordinator. All those relationships with high school coaches should have been formed. And the fact that you got hired and couldn't really kind of pull it together and you finish off at 28 is kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, I was going to go with Chip Kelly. I gave him a pass last year um, thinking like, hey, he needs to get his guys in here and and change the culture. But being rated at 44 is is not going to get it done uh, when you've got a number of Pac-12 schools ahead of you. And I think, honestly, we're we're about – He's got about this year and next year to get it done. And if not, I think they pull the plug on the Chip Kelly experiment. No. No keep Chip Kelly. I would not. UCLA is a, I feel like it could be a hotbed because you're in Southern Cal. If you just dominate, it's another, it's another one of those Texas or Florida schools where if you dominate or even become a competitor, 
no, recruiting your no, no, state, no. you're good. <laughs> no, no, no. USC is the crown jewel of that part of the country. US, UCLA will always take the back seat. So I agree. Like he needs but to get it done. Lose, you can't lose. But it's not after like three Arizona, years. Arizona State. Most definitely. But I get that. But, but, but like, Chip, Chip, Arizona, well, Kevin, I will say this. They have three Cole. years. Like they'll at least give him five or six years. Kevin, I will say this. I would not. Cold Pending he's not terrible. Jim Morrow had like top 15 classes every single year. He and was, where did that yes. get him? He's fired. But, right. And Chip Kelly's going to be right there with him because he's not getting <laughs> the classes and they ain't no good. No, no. But see, the yeah. The Listen, I, think the, I think the cat's out of the bag on Chip Kelly. Like, I think he did a lot of people wrong in Philly. No, gonna... that's not it. It's just that everybody's, everybody's quick to his game. You know what I mean? He was very innovative with the warp speed <laughs> offense. And it's kind of caught up, and so his his shtick or gimmick is is kind of like the language everybody speaks now. Right. So so then, what's the use of having him if if I can't get a good recruiting class and his stick is 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 no, not giving me? I any agree business. with you, but like it's not going to be after this year. It's going to be year five or six. I guarantee you, it's going to be year five or six. Hot take on the record. We'll record it and we'll keep it for the end of time. So when when Chip Kelly gets fired next year, I'll play it back to you guys. Thank you. I love being right. Okay, so last (laughs) question for you. LSU has three five-star commitments. Two of those mofos are from literally Baton Rouge, Louisiana, with another highly rated four-star also from Baton Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is absolutely insane. And this happens every year with Louisiana. So that's your premise. You guys each are a power five coach. You get one state to cherry pick talent from. You get to pick an unlimited number of players to come to your school from that state. What state do you choose and why? Before you answer, what team am I coaching? Kentucky, but you get to pick any state. Doesn't matter. Whatever whatever team you want to coach. Okay. Kev? Okay, so this is – I I feel strongly about this. Okay, I really do. After living in the South, you know, there are a lot of athletes down here. But are there a lot of football players is my question. I'm going to bring this up. But in the 2019 NFL Combine this year in Indianapolis, these were the players or these were the states that were represented by the players that are going to be there. Fifty one of the players of the state uh, uh, at the Combine came from the state of Florida. 31 come from Texas, 25 come from Georgia, 25 come from California, 20 from Ohio, only 13 come from Louisiana. There are a lot of athletes in Louisiana, but I'm not quite sure how many football players there are from Louisiana. And so I'm going to go to the traditional, like, if if I could pull from one state, it's either Texas or Georgia. Got to get- pick one. <laughs> you get one state. You can't, okay, I'll you take can't Texas. I'll take Texas. I knew you'd take Texas, and it's the wrong answer. But AJ, I would, go ahead. I would take Texas in a second. I, I, I don't dislike the Texas pick. Like I truly don't. I feel like you would get. There's so many players. Talent. Texas, I, like, like I any three star amount of players. Like, like you're gonna. They're, they're good football players. I get it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not opposed to you taking Texas. I'm just going to take Florida and say, I think. Me getting my athletes is gonna serve me better than you getting football players. Like you know, Justice and I talked about this about the recent like I don't want to say study because that makes it more academic, but like Florida is producing a lot of 
athletes, but not a lot of linemen. It's very interesting in the trend of where football is going. But still, as you saw, like in our Super Bowl and our sports highest level at the pinnacle of our sport, it was one in the trenches. And you're just not getting those kids from Florida. I just think that getting I just feel like the way that football's trending, getting an athlete serves you better than getting a what traditionally would be called a football player. Like you can you can change, you can morph an athlete into what you want him to be. Whereas like when you get a per se football player, he is what he's gonna be. Like you don't go to Texas and get a linebacker and change him into a safety. Like he's a linebacker. I just feel like in Florida that's just my personal take. In Florida, you go get the most athletes possible and you make do with it. Well, AJ, let me ask you this. It's a cultural opinion, especially in the South, and this is very biased and it may not be true, but there's the opinion that in Texas you have all of these great football players and they're already at their max potential. Like because of the state of football in Texas is so great, the coaching is so great they're at a higher level where in Florida or in Georgia or these other Southern states where there's not as great at coaching, these kids have a higher ceiling per se. What are you guys thoughts on that? I, I spent time coaching high school football in Ohio. And uh, one of the guys that I would talk to on a weekly basis um, was a football coach in Northeast Ohio who had come, it came straight from the state of Florida. He was a head coach in Florida for five years and uh, this, I was an offensive coordinator, so I would contact this guy, and he's kind of like a mentor because of his mindset as an offensive coach. And he said, um, "I coached at high school Florida, high school football in Florida, where it was all about offense all the time, and you could show up to every game and you could score a lot of points." And he goes, "And then I showed up to Ohio, and I would play football in North, or we'd coach football in Northeast Ohio, where." you'd go into a game and they would take the five best things that you did and they would take them away. Like the kids were so well coached and scheme against you that you had to find a way to adjust and get your kids to adjust to, to accomplish the schemes you wanted to run in order to score points. Because the, the even if the kids weren't as good at athletes, like they were so sound defensively, their scheme was so sound and they'd come out and hit you that it was just a different type of game played than in the state of Florida. So, I mean, that's just the experience I have uh, just from talking to coaches that I, that I know. And based on what I've heard about the number of athletes they're producing and not number like of football players, essentially. I, I'm going to say that my, my take is probably more biased, obviously because I'm from the South. So leaning towards Florida, um, I think, I think you still get a ton of great athletes and great players from Texas. I I don't necessarily buy into the idea that they've peaked or or hit kind of like this plateau of talent by the time they come out of high school. I mean, you've seen guys excel past that from the state of Texas, even on a, a college level. Um, so I don't. Think and plus, I mean, like you see, like a guys like like J T. Barrett, who was like he had a torn ACL, but he from Wichita Falls, which is not necessarily a, like Houston or Austin or Dallas or, you know, some of the West Texas powerhouses. But then he goes to Ohio State and like sets a ton of records, um, a kid from Texas. I mean, you saw like at some point in the NFL, I think it was about three years ago, this was more to shine light on the negativity of the University of Texas. But 
of the 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, 10 of them played high school football in Texas. And not one of them went to the University of Texas, but the fact that they're producing um, talent at such a high level. Listen, I agree with you. I, as a Kentucky fan, it pains me to say this, but I watched Lamar Jackson for three years play behind a, a just god-awful Louisville team and make them relevant and good. So I'll take my chances with the athletes every day of the week. Yeah, but I would say like Lamar Jackson is even a transcendent athlete. He's not like a, you know, he's not like just another athlete. Yeah, I get it. So like, I think what to AJ's point is, <laughs> and again, maybe completely like he, wrong, but it, would would there be more transcendent athletes from Florida than Texas? I guess that's more the question. Well, I mean, it, I guess your original question was if you were coaching a college football team. And so it depends on what you want to do, but um, that's why I asked what, like, what style cool school we're coaching at. Because, like, if I'm if I'm a Pac-12 or a Big 12 school, hell yeah, give me the athletes. Like, I'll make it work. We'll just air it out and score more points. In you. Like, yeah, yeah, but for I feel like for every Lamar Jackson, I mean, you see a Khalil, um, what's his name at Arizona? Khalil Tate. Khalil Tate. I mean, like, yeah, he's. I mean, he's a. I would say he's a freak athlete. But like they're not good. I agree. I think that has to. Do it goes with more into changing the his coach. coach and stuff. Yeah, like oh, I mean, sure. The year before he was incredible, and like, but you, if we're looking at, if you put Khalil Tate on Florida State, he probably prefer, well, I don't know. Florida State's probably a bad take because they got a horrible offensive line. But if you take Khalil Tate and put him on some another program, Michigan. maybe yeah, Michigan, they're better. Like. They're better. Well, like, I mean, you saw that with Denard. We've talked about this at length before, but when you have to game plan, not only for an arm, but for feet at the quarterback position, it puts your defense at a deficit. Like, it, most defensive schemes and the way that defenses are drawn up, everybody's accounted for but the quarterback. So if you've got a mobile threat back there, it... it if if I'm playing Peyton Manning, I'm not afraid of his feet. Like he, it, I, I don't I, want him to. I, no, listen, I with. agree with you. I agree with you that like an athlete can transcend. But like, uh, there were many times where Braxton Miller was the quarterback, and he would go like eleven of twenty-seven passing, and it was just like they would you you'd go up against a team that could you know contain him as an athlete, and he couldn't throw the ball. And it was maddening. Like, it just couldn't take you to the next level. I mean, when was the last time, an, like, an athlete won, at quarterback won the national title? Deshaun Watson. No. I mean, uh, what? He's, 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 he's what? a quarterback. <laughs> he's an a, but he's an athlete. Like, he's, a, he's a quarterback that can, th- like, that can run the ball. But Deshaun, no, Deshaun's Deshaun a quarterback. Is a, he's That's a, a quarterback. But he's an athlete. Like, sure, but he's, like, he's, like, to me, like, like Trevor Lawrence is a quarterback, no, 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 but no, he's no. not like, an athlete. Listen, in two, like in 2012 or 2011, Braxton Miller's first year at Ohio State. That's an athlete taking snaps. He was not a quarterback. He was not a college quarterback. Deshaun Watson is a quarterback that is athletic. I would say that his athletic ability made him better than his quarterbacking ability. I disagree. I think his athletic ability made him the best quarterback 
in college football. I, I just don't see like I don't I get I, I'm not saying he's Yo, Deshaun not could good. sling the rock, man. He, he, absolutely. Terrell Pryor was an athlete, and dude, he was garbage of a quarterback. But that's the same. Like they all, he also morphed over time. Like that's the same thing they said about Cam. Like he, they they called him an at like. Well, okay. I will say that from a from a bias standpoint, Cam was a much better thrower than than Terrell Pryor was. Terrell Pryor was the Dollar General version of Cam Newton. Like absolutely, they don't belong in the same sentence. Right. Tebow, I think Tebow. I think Tebow I mean, was an athlete. I, he's I, freshman I year, they didn't let him throw the ball. I think in, in his heart, he was a quarterback. Yeah, but his talent made him have to be more athletic because yeah. of the of the long wind up throw and stuff like that. But he also, I mean, shit, he's playing behind the pouncy twins. He can stand back there all day and throw the ball wherever he wants to. Like, well, not if he's playing Kentucky. Well, yeah, you know, every now and then you got to knock somebody's block off. I don't know what you want me to do. We could argue about the topic all day. It really goes to see, like, we all have, like Kevin. You grew up in the north, so your 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 approach to the you know to the breakdowns of talent and recruiting and stuff like that is much different than probably myself or Justice growing up in the south. We've watched two different brands of ball our whole lives, which is, I mean, goes to show how incredible the sport of college football is and. And I really think that there, while we can debate it, I don't believe there are any wrong answers. I, you know, I'll argue to the I'm blue in the face. I take athletes over football players, and you're right by saying you take football players over athletes. There is no wrong answers because we've seen it work on many of stages. But well, I think what you're finding is like if you have athletes that are football players, and by football players, what we're talking about is like, and we coach these kids is like kids that know the game of football and love the game of football and play it the right way with that like with that toughness and knowing how the game is working out that 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 game knowledge instead of just like a kid like oh you're a good athlete come play football and then it's like they get hit a few times like i don't like this at all this is right. terrible and so obviously what you're finding is now you're getting kids that are are more often football players that are athletes that are athletic. Gotcha. And so just to clarify on what I mean by football player. Yeah, I don't hate that. I'll tell you this. You can argue athletes. You can argue football players. You know what you can't argue? Fast food restaurants. A fast food. And so, uh, Justice, you want to be a part of this? Justice well, does not want to be a part of this, out. that's fine. He's out. Why would you not <laughs> want to be a part of this? I mean, I'd be a part of it, but you don't want my flaming hot takes on some of this. So, <laughs> You know what? I'm going to ask you again and just say yes and be a part of it. It's been this long. Why not? All right, let's do it. All right. Uh, Justice, you want to be a part of this? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can already tell. I'm just going to put this on wax now. I hate Justice's takes already. I know I do. I know I Gosh. do. Gosh. Guys, this is a tough topic. 
your your Mount Rushmore of fast food restaurants. What now, are what are we considering fast food? I need to know off top. Is pizza fast food? No. Like I how I perceive fast food is you have to, you have to be able to stay in the car and get this food. If you have to get out of the car to place the order and get the food, it's not fast food. So if I go to Chipotle, that's not fast food. Um, Domino's, that's not fast food. Like you have to get out to go get hey, this food. Hey. That's how I look at it. You know, we kind of live in the hood. No, uh, you don't. <laughs> no, I'm just no, saying. I'm just saying. My car got stolen. There's oftentimes gunshots oh, reported. Oh, well, well. Let's let's tell the truth. I'm just your car, saying. Your car got stolen, but I in, mean, this is in, the most fortuitous steal ever because they just opened the door and everything was there. <laughs> hey, so when I go pick up my Papa John's pizza, I go first time I go, I knock on the door and they're like, "This is pizza." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A lot of free pizza. So, nonetheless, I go knock on the door and the lady at the counter is like. Mm-mm, mm, go around, go around. They made me go around to the drive-thru lane. I get it. I didn't have to get out of my car to get my pizza. That's, pizza's not considered fast food. Like, can you go, can you get go it? to Domino's? By rule, by your rule. Like, okay. I didn't have to get out of the car. Can you go to Domino's, order it, and then give it to you? Papa John's counter so that they don't, they, they close it up and you got to go around through the counter. Right, but you can't show up, order it, and then give it to you within like three minutes. Now, granted, sometimes you go to like McDonald's and you don't get it in three minutes, but in the most part, you order your food, you get it relatively quick. I don't feel like there is, there's prep work, there's cook work. Like, I don't feel like pizza is a fast food. Okay, that's fine because pizza's not really on my list. So, okay. we just wanted to clear that up. Justice, are you okay with that? I don't care what you're going to say, but yes, I'm going to ask. That's good with me. Okay. I, that's, that's all you that's, got? That's all you got. <laughs> I'll say this: I am a big fan of like sandwich sub shops, so I'm I'm leaving them off because you have to go in to order these. But if you're counting sub shops, I have no problem with you adding in uh, a Jersey Mike's, a Lenny's, a Firehouse. Like all those places are incredible. They would be somewhere close to my list, but. It's not fast food. It's not considered fast food, so I left them off. All right, so Kev, you start us off. Number four on your list. My number four, probably going to be a hot take, Mount Rushmore, is uh, Dairy Queen. Ooh. Okay. I think the, I think the, uh, the food is uh, serviceable at best, mm -hmm. but... The tasty, delicious treats that they have are second to none. Make sure you They're, turn my blizzard upside down. Oh my goodness! A Butterfinger <laughs> blizzard, a chocolate, a chocolate ice cream cone, yeah. a peanut butter, a peanut buster parfait. Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness! All uh, the hot eats and the cool treats. I'm all for it. Dairy Queen is on my Mount Rushmore. Here's a little tidbit from a fat kid. Uh, anytime it snows. Dairy Queen does BOGO on blizzards, so have at it, guys. What about it? I've never had anything but a Butterfinger blizzard. Oh, you're missing out. The cookie, and you also, a little little fat kid hat here. Cookie dough blizzard, 
extra stuff. Order the extra stuff. Get like a little bit more in there. Uh, set it right off. But for the same reason as Dairy Queen being your four, uh, Sonic is mine. I think Sonic's food is a little bit more of a step up. So I love Sonic's food. Um, you can get breakfast or dinner anytime during the day, which is huge because I may want a breakfast burrito at 930 and at night. And Sonic's going to come through for me. They've got Master Blasts, which are like blizzards, but they also got milkshakes, which are awesome. Um, a Route 44 ocean water would just quench your thirst on the hottest of summer days. They got uh, nerd slushies. They got everything, and they always run deals. I love Sonic, so that's my number four on the list. Justice, what you got? So, keep it short and say from all the hot takes, Sonic. It is where I have taken every single girl I've ever went on a date with in my entire life to go get a drink to. I feel like that is America's choice for the best drink in the world. So, from a worldwide perspective, thinking of fast food wow. restaurants, Sonic would be on my Mount Rushmore. All right, Kev. Three, what are you looking at? Uh, this is a, a, a probably a regional pick, but hands down, the best chicken fingers you can buy is Raising Cane's. It is – I mean, most of you have probably had Zaxby's, but Raising Cane's is like Zaxby's – and if Zaxby's like got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too, and they got like the ooze, <laughs> the ooze, and they got all the superpowers, like that's what Raising Cane's would be. Oh my gosh, it's so much better. Raising Cane's is chicken fingers and crinkle cut French fries. Get to, get yourself a get yourself a a Caniac oh, or boy. box. A Caniac is six fingers. Caniac. Box box combos four fingers. Get yourself ditch the coleslaw. Get double double toast. fries. Ooh, oh, oh, double fries! I get the double toast. You oh, get the man. fries and the double toast. Get yourself don't an extra cane sauce. Me, don't even think about putting coleslaw in my box, man. Get out! Of here. Oh my gosh, the cane sauce. Zaxby's doesn't have a chance. Raisin canes is the best you can get. I'm a big fan of raisin canes. They're not on my list, but huge fan of raisin canes. The one on the one in Kentucky stays open a little later, so. It allows you to get there at midnight, 1 a.m. and eat from there. It's incredible drunk food. I personally think that now while Raisin Cane's tenders are bigger, I actually think Zaxby's tenders taste better. But the the Raisin Cane sauce, the Cane sauce and the toast really set it off for me. And I would rank Raisin Cane's ahead of Zaxby's for that reason. But yeah, I don't hate that. Justice, what you got for number three? Wait, what was your number three, AJ? Or have you went yet? I haven't went yet. I was going to okay, switch okay. up the order. Okay, no worries. So my number three, from the perspective of breakfast alone, because there's no other place in the entire world I would rather get breakfast, is Hardee's. <laughs> Hold on. So in the South, there's a tradition. So Kevin, I don't know if you know this. but Probably not. If you're over the age of 65, you go to Hardee's before 6.30 a.m. every single morning and sit with all the other old people and eat your breakfast of choice. Hardee's is the best fast food breakfast on the planet, particularly if you have time to sit down and actually eat a good biscuits and gravy or a good ham biscuit in the South. Hardee's 
is my number three on the Mount Rushmore, specifically for the fact that they own the entire breakfast fast food universe. No chance that they're better than McDonald's breakfast. Mm. Uh oh. So, <laughs> for my number three, I, Hardy's biscuits and Hardy biscuits, top notch. I think the only place that gives them a run is Bojangles for biscuit quality. But Bojangles Hardy's, is good. Hardy's is really good. Only um, time I've ever had Hardy's was in Colorado Springs. It's delightful. I like Hardy's. I don't get it as much now just because it's not really on my way in or out of work or wherever, but I like Hardy's. Um, Kev, I actually am bringing on a friend to help me with my number three. Some of you may know him. Some of you may not, and that's perfectly fine. But uh, his name's Stone Cold E.T. (laughs) (laughs) And all Stone Cold wants is a cup of cheeseburgers. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go Google Stone Cold E.T. What? But my number three is White Castles, baby. What? Listen, it's not good for you, but no fast food is. So miss me with the it makes your stomach hurt and all that. I don't want to hear it. Like, they got Fountain Big Red, which is an awesome soda. They got cheeseburgers, like just mini cheeseburgers, like... Yeah, if you don't want to eat a whole gigantic burger, yeah, just get you like three little sliders and you'll eat less and you'll feel better about yourself. Or you can get drunk as hell with a friend and go get a 20 sack with cheese and you guys just crush through them. White Castles has something for everybody. They got um, they got chicken rings. Like you just, you can find something on the menu for everybody. It's, it is fast food. It's, it's greasy it's delightful it's great hangover cure and it makes me feel better about myself if i eat seven mini cheeseburgers instead of a big mac so white castles i don't i i'm you know where white castle started i'm gonna say columbus columbus ohio man (laughs) headquartered in columbus ohio which brings me to uh my next one it's not necessarily in order but in my opinion, if you're gonna have a Mount Rushmore of fast food, you gotta have one of the big three. You gotta have either McDonald's, Wendy's, or Burger King. And my vote would be Wendy's, which would be headquartered in Dublin, Ohio, which is my hometown. And so, uh, just was always been a big fan of uh, Dave Thomas, and you know, just their concept of. You know, never frozen, always fresh. The chicken nuggets are far and beyond better than everybody else's. The frosty adds a big uh, bonus in my eyes. And this is going to be the moment where I might lose some fans. Um, But I like to dip my chicken nuggets in my frosty. And I know, AJ, you have some hot takes about that. I don't know about justice. I don't know if you ever heard that. Terroristic actions like in no facet is it okay to dip a chicken nugget in a frosty serial killer my question is have you have either of you two done it no you know why so i'm an adult and i eat my chicken nuggets (laughs) with sauce and i don't dip them into a frosty (laughs) no i'll let you slide with fries but a chicken nugget 
No. no I, can't, no. I can't wait. I cannot wait. This week, I'm going to take you guys out to get some chicken nuggets and a Frosty, and we're going to try it out. You're really messing up my diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for, of my big three fast food chains, Wendy's would be my one that I got to put in there. I, I hate it when we're in lockstep with our Mount Rushmore because there's not enough debate. But Wendy's is number two on my list. Um, just for the simple fact that, like you pointed out, their burgers are good burgers. Like if I'm going to eat a cheeseburger, um, it's a really good dish. I love their Asiago chicken uh, club sandwich. I usually get that spicy. And I like to like... I like to fancy up my dinner, and so I will get no fries, but I'll add a baked potato. Baked potato. Yes. Um, Or a bowl of chili. Yes, like very clutch moves there by shifting out the fries and getting that. Because now say this, Wendy's redid their fries, and when done correctly, Wendy's fries are good. But the if you look like... McDonald's didn't make make my list, but more times than not, McDonald's fries are done correctly. You just can't get cold McDonald's fries. Wendy's fries, you can get them too soggy, and there's just a bigger gap where the fries can be not good. So I like substituting in the baked potato. It's a smash, and it gives you a little bit more fullness once you've eaten that entire meal. But yeah, love the Asiago Chicken Club, and... Dude, a, a Junior Baker cheeseburger? Like, are you kidding me? Oh, like, JBC? Just... You know, from last episode, I got a dog named Miley. Uh, every birthday she's ever had, she gets a JBC put in her dog bowl, and she loves it. I'm... She'd tell you that Wendy's was in her Mount Rushmore as well. <laughs> Listen, it's incredible. Like, if you're if like if I ever get back in like football shape and can can have just the ultimate cheat meal, I'm gonna get the fattest baconator you ever seen and just oh crush it. golly a baconator it's not good for me oh now my but it just, it's incredible and if i, I really go out by my heart stopping from a baconator i'm doing all right right like it's it's worth going out for so that's what i went with um i will say like like i mentioned mcdonald's isn't on my list and this is just my personal take um but to me mcdonald's is top two um and just breakfast like i when i eat mcdonald's for the most part it's just breakfast i don't really eat lunch or dinner from mcdonald's justice number two who who you taking my man it's great that you mentioned that aj so and again this is in no particular order for myself but number two and i'm writing this a little bit different potentially than you guys i don't know how you guys are rating this but mine is not only my personal favorites but also how I would rate everything in relation to the entire world and country. And it would have to be McDonald's at number two. McDonald's alone, I have to put on my list for the amount of McDoubles I ate on the strip at University of Tennessee. Probably Now for, now for $1. Probably ate over 250 McDoubles in one year alone at the University of Tennessee. So... That combined with the breakfast food combined with, okay, here's a hot take for you guys. And I know it's different. Like I've talked to people who've worked at McDonald's, the soft drinks at McDonald's have extra carbonation in them. So if you, a a McDonald's Coke is so much better than everybody else's Coke. McDonald's Coke is the best of all time. So for that alone, McDonald's is on $1 any size. Hot take here. Black people don't like Coke. 
Whoa! Yep, I said it. I'm confused. Show me a black person you've ever seen drink a Coca-Cola. Black people, black households don't prefer Coca-Cola. We might, now, we, we don't have a problem with Coke brands, but we drink Sprite. Like, I grew up, like, I don't know a single black person that will order Coke, like a Coca-Cola. Huh. Also, long story, but Pepsi was actually geared towards minorities over Coca-Cola seen as this, like, American brand, which was more geared towards white people. Long backstory has nothing to do with me because I hate Pepsi and I hate Coke. Hmm. But How about that? I know copious amounts of white people that love Coke and black people. I know zero. So there's my take. Independent study. Yes, blew a lot of minds today. So we've all done three. The last one, uh, this was tough. The last one was really hard. We're going to have to go through our our honorable mentions. There's only one right answer here, Kev. I I, I think we're all on the same page. Me and you are. Besides Justice? Yeah, I think besides Justice, I think we're good. As you guys know, I grew up in Ohio. Obviously, Wendy's was started in my hometown. What kid grows up in America hating Dairy Queen? So, I mean, like, I got that. Wendy's, you got Dairy Queen. Uh, Raising Cane's was just a college phenomenon for me. But not until I moved south did I realize that uh, Chick Fil A. Say man. it. Yeah. Golly. Say it. Yeah. I've been to Wendy's. I've been to McDonald's. I've been to every fast food chain. And and to be honest with you, besides maybe um, Raising Cane's, like I've never had a bad meal at Chick Fil A. Like ever. It's been so good. Never will. And uh, when I was a football player at Air Force, you know, we'd, we'd have Saturday practices at fall camp and spring practice. And every time we'd come to the locker room, we'd have a Chick-fil-A meal put in our in our locker for us. Um, I mean, it's just it, – it, it's the inventor of the chicken sandwich. It's, it's the best. And I have to admit, somebody from north of the Mason-Dixon line, Chick-fil-A is the way to go. Thank you. There was only one correct answer here, and it's Chick-fil-A. Um, as a guy that grew up in the South, um, Chick-fil-A is a, a staple in our community. Um, I would say if I'm going to get fast food, nine times out of ten, it's going to be Chick-fil-A. And their um, breakfast is good. Their breakfast is delightful. I mean, chicken minis, spicy chicken biscuit sandwich, regular chicken biscuit sandwich, the 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 breakfast burritos are, are not bad. Like, they have good breakfast. But, I mean, like, nothing is going to beat, like, and I love the spicy sandwich, but an original chicken sandwich with two pickles and Chick-fil-A sauce is incredible. Like, it's well, see, I, don't, I, go no, I go no pickles. But I, I go get, no pickles, but, like, you, even if, I like, like the if spicy I get, with the pepper jack. Oh, my goodness. See, Woo! now, I don't add cheese to mine. I just, oof. Give me my normal. Uh, a Chick-fil-A deluxe with a little slice of American cheese or the spicy with the pepper jack? Mm. Just give me the regular sandwich. If I'm going spicy, Man. I'm going to put ranch on it. And if I go regular, I'm doing Chick-fil-A sauce. And it's incredible. Shout out to any other Air Force Academy cadets and uh, and their experience with Chief Vasquez. Man, this guy would – every time you met Chief Vasquez, you got three Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwiches handed to you. And you had a great time. 
I'll tell you. And they were so good every single time. They were so good. So my, we switched up. We used to get breakfast in the mornings um, for football for all three years. And then my senior year, we went to after practice meals. So like instead of getting breakfast in the morning, we got meals after um, practice. But when Chick-fil-A would run on Wednesdays and we'd get the breakfast sandwiches in the morning, if you got off, if you're smart and you got off the field early enough, you could get some of the leftover chicken sandwiches. And, man, if you stored, like, an extra jelly or something from earlier, throw that on that chicken sandwich after after practice, oh, it's incredible. Like, or on that biscuit after practice, it's incredible. And, I mean, it's mm. just, I like you, I've never had a bad meal at Chick-fil-A. I once, comp- I once competed in a five-minute nugget eat-off, which I won by eating 36 nuggets in five minutes. Um, and I don't even think I was really trying. I think I could eat much more than that in five minutes. It's Chick-fil-A. Like, if you told me, hey, cut out all fast food, you can only go to one place, I'd suffice if I could go to Chick-fil-A. So, Justice, your rebuttal? No, that it would only be, I'm not saying that Chick-fil-A is horrible. Chick-fil-A would not be on my Mount Rushmore, but definitely a top fast food restaurant just based on white women alone. That's my rebuttal. So what's your, what's your, what's your your number four? So this isn't my number one in terms of my, it's, it's equally yoked across my four Mount Rushmore, but my last one would be. Taco Bell. Can't believe you didn't mention it. Taco Bell, the epitome of it's the late night snack. You are had a few too many. You may or may not be driving home or in an Uber and you stop by and you get a couple soft tacos or one of many different snacks. Obviously, the little cinnamon twists are one of the greatest fall time fast food desserts. Because they really have like zero calories, basically, but they're delicious. Taco Bell would definitely be in my Mount Rushmore as my number four. I had Taco Bell one time, and then I, I almost had Taco Bell a second time, and that's mm. how many times I've had Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Your digestive taco... system needs a little work. I don't hate Taco Bell. <laughs> a little Taco Hell. My issue with Taco Bell is I. I'm never quite certain what I'm going to order when I get there. Like, I know what I'm ordering when I go to Chick-fil-A. I know what I'm ordering when I go to Wendy's. I know what I'm ordering when I get to Sonic. When I get to Taco Bell, I just look at the menu and I'm like, I mean, I could go for a couple hard and soft tacos. I could go for a chalupa. I could go for nachos. Like, And then I just sit there because I never know what I'm going to order. And my favorite, I will say, my favorite dish, or lack thereof, at Taco Bell is the cinnamon twist. Extremely underrated and delicious, but I wish they is allowed it, you to get bigger it, sizes. Is it one of your top four fast food dessert foods? That's a whole different list, but I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, it'd have to be. Like I, now I will say this: I don't eat. I probably like as a guy my size, you would probably think I eat more like desserts. Now, one thing I will go on kicks like 
there's a time every summer, like right around when football season starts, where I'll get a Butterfinger every single day for a couple weeks, and then I'll not want one for a while. But there's always this point in time. M&M's is another one where I'm like, I just have to have M&M's. But outside of that, like, I don't, you know, I may have a kick once every three months for some ice cream or something like that, but I don't really eat sweets, like, that often but if i was if i had a fast food restaurant to go to i would want to get the cinnamon twist but the thing is i just out of everywhere else on these lists i'd rather have their food than taco bell what is it at taco bell that does it for you so at taco bell i love to be able to anytime i need to crave a tasting of a more hispanic flair i love to get some soft tacos i get some hot sauce i get some cinnamon twists i get a because because it's pepsi products i get a sierra mist (laughs) and it is wonderful every time Uh, now they would be they would probably be near the bottom if i had to rank a top four because mm -hmm. their breakfast is very lacking and breakfast is very important to me in fast food but if I had to rank a non-good breakfast fast food place, it would be Taco Bell. Gotcha. This didn't make my list, but it would definitely, like, if I stretched it to five, Popeye's would have been on there. Like, I just, just a spicy, spicy chicken tender, some seasoned fries, and that delicious, delicious biscuit. Like, yeah, that would definitely made my list. I also like Steak and Shake. Fast food? Steak and Shake, fast food, yeah, got drive through. They got drive through. Um, this one would not make my I, list. I, my ratio of fast food to dining and Steak and Shake is probably like one to five. Like you normally go in. Oh yeah, like you might as well. Wow, just sit down. is that you a might... different thing in the South? I'm like five to one takeout. Out. Why like, would you? Through. Every time, every time you wait in line at Steak and Shake, it's like, all right, well, we'll have your ready order in a few minutes. You gotta get better steak and shakes, man. Like my people, I'm also like a patty melt, a Frisco melt, dog. Oh and, my gosh, a Frisco melt. Ooh, and, 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 a, and a milkshake. Oh, I'm in there. Like that's all I want. Oh like, my goodness, make it snappy. Oh um, my goodness. So yeah, that one's definitely on there. Uh, and they give you a whole bunch of French fries. Right, <laughs> like just spilling over into my bag. Um, the last one that would definitely not ever make my list because everything on their menu is trash. Besides one thing. But checkers, French fries, French fries. That's the only reason they're even close because their fries are amazing. You Anything say checkers, their... but you say checkers, but like in the north, it's rallies. I uh, we had we literally had both in Knoxville, checkers and rallies. Uh, checkers just sounds so much fire, more fire than rallies. But their fries are incredible, and so if I could just have their fries. They definitely be in my Mount Rushmore, but if I have to look at their entire menu, it's trash. <laughs> uh, you don't like a big Buford, a, a big what Southern sounds, bird, what big sounds, Southern bird. What sounds appetizing about big Buford? Can I get a big Buford? <laughs> like that don't sound delicious at all. That sounds like trash. Sounds like something. Listen, a big. They they should run a promotion. It's like big Buford, pre- preferred by. Eight out of ten truck drivers, because that's who it sounds like eats big boofers. All right, I got a, I got a lot of talk. <laughs> truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's I got a lot to talk about. Okay, so best take all. What's your opinion on Chipotle being fast food? You gotta get out of the car, not fast food. All right, so a Chipotle, if it was considered fast food, would be on my Mount Rushmore, but I don't think it's considered fast food. Like, if you order Chipotle to go, eh, maybe you could argue it. That's Moser right Chipotle. Moser Chipotle. Welcome to Moe's. Chipotle, uh, 10 out of 10. Moe's all Moe's. the way. Chipotle Moe's. people never greet me. Moe's hey. people yell at me every time. And their queso is delicious. Um, I, I like this probably is in a um, maybe in a minority, but I think Arby's is really good. Their curly fries are so good. I'm a minority here. Arby's is fire. <laughs> Their curly fries are so good. I love a roast beef sandwich, but they're just, just out of the Mount Rushmore. Jamocha shake. Oh, their mozzarella sticks are so good. Um, I, I, I like Sonic, but I didn't put them in there. Um, I think Five Guys is the best burger, but no drive through Preferred by what I would consider our greatest president, but you know, that's just me. I I did not know that. Do but you get do you get the seasoning on your fries? Do sure you- do, sure do. Yeah, but you can't get out of the car. You got to go into the store. It's a restaurant. Now I, but I feel like you have. That's another place that overloads you with fries. Like if you if you've never had Five Guys and you're like really hungry, don't get the big size fry. Just get the normal size fry because they're gonna put double what should go into your bag. So just trust me on this. Yep. Um, Rallies fries or checkers fries, whatever you call them, their fries are the best fries in the business. Um, this was honestly I did not know until I moved to the south that existed but there's a little phenomenon that's occurring in this nation that very few people know about and it's called cookout Uh, and cookout is the greatest collection of bad food you've ever had in your life you can that's what we call it you (laughs) you can get i mean the amount of food that you can get for no money is unbelievable in cookout i mean you you shouldn't it's, be it, able to order a burger with a quesadilla as a side. like. But that's what makes it beautiful is that if you want a quesadilla and you want a burger, you can have them both in a milkshake. And you maybe you want hush puppies. Maybe you want fries. Cookouts I don't know, maybe, great. Maybe you want four chicken tenders. But there's not a better drunk food destination, fast food destination in the world. And bullshit if you want to say Taco Bell's better. But there's nothing better than cookout. White Castles, but... No, not even close. Not even close. I'm also glad that you put in the caveat a fast food for drunk food, because I was about to just dominate you with a take, but you threw the fast food caveat in there, so I'll let it slide. Yep, and the last thing I want to talk about is quite possibly a phenomenon that is um, extremely overrated, but this is In-N-Out burger that, you know... Don't people from out people from out west want to just talk about In and Out Burger, and sure it might be pretty good, and it it and honestly might be Mount Rushmore worthy. But the fact that like people are willing to go to the grave for In and Out Burger makes me want to not put them in my Mount Rushmore. <laughs> it's, 
it's really good. <laughs> I don't know. It, it is really, it, it's really good, but like, like I'm a hater because so many people are like, "Oh my god, you don't even know about Mount or uh, you don't even know about In and Out Burger." I think that, and and to your point, now I will say, In and Out Burger was hyped up for me for 20 years before I had it. It was really good, but it's also one of those things of like. If I ate it side by side with Five Guys, I don't think that it was better than Five Guys. But it was really good still. Um, I kind of, I mean, I put it in that same category as like Shake Shack. Both of them have really good burgers. Um, Shake Shack, Whataburger? What about them? Whataburger's my spot, but I've never had a burger from there. Just the honey butter chicken biscuit. And I took a $30 Uber ride in Houston just to get one and it was the best money I've spent this decade. Just what about you? Say that again. <laughs> Said just what any, about you? Did you have any honorable mentions for fast food places? Definitely Arby's and Wendy's would be probably my top two. I mean, just classics. Arby's, we got the meat. You can get a good French dip. You can get a good roast beef sandwich. Well, Arby's, they have the is one of the, Arby's is one of the top four, in Sandwiches. my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the clarification, AJ. I needed that tonight. Yeah, no problem. Man. So I would say Arby's sauce, one of the top four best sauces of any restaurant. But that's a whole different discussion. So Arby's would be up there. Wendy's, four for four, best meal deal in the fast food universe at this time. So is... I'm trying to think here. Was anybody, so, like, my wife is a huge Captain D's fan. Anybody got a take on, like, Captain D's or Long John's? You guys are fan, not fans? i tell you this. Um, every time I eat Long John Silvers, I, I didn't know Captain D's was a thing until I moved south. But every time I eat Long John Silvers, like, I kind of say a prayer to God saying, like, hey, my time might be up. I know my arteries might clog, and uh, this could be it. But I, it's really good. It's really good. The hush puppies and the little crispies at the bottom of the the tray when you get the fish. Oh my god, they're so good. I, I'm not. The, I'd rather fry fish at home, so I don't go out and get fried fish. But um, for fried yeah. fish, I think it's pretty good. I really think it's pretty good. I, yeah, I'm 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 iffy on it. Um, Kevin, have you about... ever had fried fish in the South? Yeah, I mean, like I fried my own fish last week. But like, Two have you ago. ever went to like a country bumpkin church that's trying to like fundraise money, so they're frying fish like on a Friday and they throw it on like a piece of white bread with mustard? Like one. Of I those? had a I had a fried fish sandwich at Pearl Cone. Oh, you did. That's right. Yep. Uh, stand correct. It did look delightful. They also only took cash. So while Kevin was enjoying his fried fish sandwich, I was pissed off the entire day. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> and then some knuckleheads decided to shoot up the place, and we had to leave early. But nonetheless, nobody nobody said KFC either. Yeah, yeah. We live in Nashville, so like you're gonna go Prince's, Hattie B's. Listen, but KFC's never 
led me astray. I'm, I didn't put it on mine, obviously, but KFC's not bad either. That's what I got. I think that we're all, uh, I think that we all kind of voted with proximity to where we grew up, which makes sense. Um, there's probably a lot of Tennessee people that are listening to this list that are pissed at me for saying White Castles over Crystals, but... I was going to get you for that, AJ. Crystal, I, Chattanooga, Tennessee, right where I grew up, second right. day. I, and I like Crystals. I'll say this. Crystals offers um, corn dogs, corn pups, so they're definitely up there on my list. But I'll say as I've gotten older, I found myself eating more White Castle than Crystals. That's So that's why I put White Castle on my list. I think that at the end of the day, you're getting the same style sandwich, regardless of which one you go to. I've never heard of Crystal until I moved to Nashville. It's a southern thing. It's a southern thing. But so, well, that brings us to a, a a a very tasteful end of this week's Mount Rushmore. Uh, thank you to Miss Lindsay Nance for bringing us this topic. If you want to hear us talk about a certain Mount Rushmore topic. Uh, please reach out to us at Peace of Mind 615 on Twitter or Instagram. We run polls weekly on uh, what our next Mount Rushmore topic should be. Also, you can uh, comment on uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, let us know through that channel. Uh, with that being said, let's take it on to overtime. Let's do it. So. Forbes Sports released the average franchise value increases over the last year. Um, the NBA was up 13%. The Major League Baseball was up 7%. NHL was up 6%. And NFL was up 2%. Shocking to you at all, Kev? Um, not really surprising that NFL is only up 2%. Um. I'm really surprised that MLB is up 7%. Um, I thought that was shocking. I thought for sure that that would be the lowest rated increase of the four major sports. I do think that Major League Baseball is starting to come around a little bit more. I think when you have some well-known Americans that are at the forefront of your sport, then people obviously in America start spending more money to watch. So I can see that. Uh, I think NFL already being at the top kind of shrinks how much they can grow. But I love the NBA, and seeing that they're up 13% is awesome too. All right, ESPN College Football announced that Bob Suits will be head coach and general manager of the XFL team in Dallas. Will this make you watch the XFL? XFL? No, that won't make me watch the XFL. But just for the sheer fact that they're going to put crazy people's names on the back of their jerseys, like, he hate me, I'll probably watch. Yeah. I, honestly, like, I would watch watch um, Bob Suits coach in the, in the XFL. Like, that interests me. Um, would you think that um, President Trump's involvement in the XFL will turn people away? I, I do. I do believe that it will. Um it's also one of those things where just as an American, I kind of just want to be like, I need you to just focus on your job. <laughs> Please stop 
expanding into other things. Just focus on the one thing that you are supposed to be doing right now. The last the last note we got here is a little bit somber note, uh, but me being a huge baseball fan, I uh, wanted to take a second to touch on, but baseball Hall of Famer Frank Robinson passed away this week at the age of 83. Um, he was really a groundbreaker for a lot of things in the sport of baseball. Um, some of his just well-notable notable accomplishments was he's the NL Rookie of the Year. Um, he appeared in 14 All-Star games. He's currently 10th all-time in the home run uh, uh all-time home run leader with 586 home runs. When he retired, he was fourth on that list. Um, he's a two-time World Series champion, and more important than anything, he was the first African-American manager in the major league um, when he took over for the Cleveland Indians in, in 75. Um, very similar to the point that we touched on about David Williams earlier in the show, but as a young African-American growing up, like, Frank Robinson shows me, my kids, my kids' kids, that they can accomplish and be something um, in this world other than just, you know, just a baseball player. You can grow and become the the GM. You can grow and become um, an AD in the, in the SEC. And I think that um, a lot of things that he did for the game still exist today. Um, and it's, it's a terrible loss for the baseball community. Um, but it's, it's one of those players and persons that will reflect on his accomplishments for a lifetime and wanted to make sure to pay our proper respects to Frank Robinson and, and definitely give him a shout out on this, on the show. Yeah. I just want to allude to the fact that, um, not always do the best players make the best coaches, Mm -hmm. but it takes a special person to be able to teach the game that comes so naturally to you. And so just a true testament to Frank Robinson, the fact that you could be so successful as a player and be able to transition to coaching that game and passing on those skills and that knowledge to players while doing it, um, facing the barriers that he did, um, it is just truly astonishing. Um, it's sad to see him go. Really appreciate the fact that um, he was able to uh, cross both thresholds and teaching the game that he was so good at to players and further that game, uh, the game of baseball to other players. And and, and obviously, like you mentioned, uh influence those people's to the, those players to maybe go above and beyond of what you know maybe just playing the game of baseball mm-hmm. i yeah to to that point i think this it transcends sports but when you've got a guy that is literally gr- breaking a barrier that had not ever been done before like 1975 is not that long ago like well, it was 43 years or 44 years ago. Right. So, I mean, but to, to say, like, hey, that was the first time there was an African-American manager, like, that's that's incredible. And it and it shows you that while we, we nitpick at a lot of things, um, we have come a long way in those 40-something years. Um, we still got a long way to go, but I think 
we 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 owe an honor to people like Frank Robinson that have bust down that door to allow us to continue to grow as as people um, moving forward. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to add onto this as we close down the episode, I got a tweet from uh, at Brent Brigaman, who follows uh, the Air Force Academy football program. Um, he says, um, by my count, Air Force football could finish its recruiting season with 23 star recruits, which is unheard of number for this program. It would be the most this year in the Mountain West. Um, well, I just want to give a big shout out to Air Force football. Uh, a lot of people thought that Troy Calhoun would be done. Uh, they had a losing season this year for the first time in a long time. And um, the fact that he responds with that losing season with the mo- the highest recruiting, cra- uh, recruiting class in the Mountain West uh, is a big testament to his resolve and what his mission at the Air Force Academy is. And so a uh, big shout out to Air Force football. Yeah, I'm, even when you sent me the statistic, I was like, oh, this is incredible. And I do think that, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to see that pan out against uh, on the field and show, like, they're going to be – we've always argued it's tough to game plan for uh, an option-based team. But then when you start to add the talent with it, like I'm, they're going to give people problems. And, and I'm interested and excited to see – how it plays out for him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, big credit to Jeff Monken and uh, Army Black Knights head football coach. Uh, but they were able to steal the commander in chief's trophy away. And so hopefully uh, this will swing the tide back towards Air Force's favor and uh, they can get it done against Navy and Army and um, get that commander in chief's trophy back. So with that being said, it's been a great episode. It's been a long episode. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. A big thank you to uh, Justice West, our producer, the uh, co-host of the Fundamentally Useless Statistics podcast. Uh, Check him out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you guys uh, check out your podcast. Uh, Give him a listen, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you have a great night. Thanks for hanging out with us this week, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you.